1: Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Sunquist now to Falk, Falk far wing,
3: they shoot, Campbell the same, free on the score! Breeden Shin answers with a quick one for the Blues on a terrific rush up the ice.
0: And it's 3 to 2 St. Louis. Pareko with a wrist shot back door. They center. They score! Brandon Sod from David Perron. And every line has scored for the Blues tonight. They get the puck off the wall. Perron to the blue line. They score! Slap shot from the far point. With
1: Ryan O'Reilly in front, he may have deflected it. And bring out the Zamboni. The Blues continue to dominate in Toronto. Six to three, the final. And the Blues continue a point streak and climb in the Central Division standings.
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 1104. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That was a big win over the weekend, man. That felt like a big game. It was hockey night in Canada. Blues going up to Toronto where they're at half capacity now. So there actually felt like there was some energy in the building. And man, it's crazy. All of a sudden, the Blues looked like the team that we've all expected them to look like this year. They get a couple of big saves out of L.A. Who so they get a goal from each and every line. The fifth time that that's happened this season. Second time we've seen it from them in the last four games. And Alex, it was a welcomed sight to see this team playing like we all know it can once again.
3: Yeah, 100 percent. And watching that, that was the first time in boy sometime that I've gotten excited for the outcome of that game like I was cheering here in our studios because it just it was a playoff atmosphere that's what it felt like you got two top teams in their division going head to head where the Blues are coming off of a stinker Toronto's got one of the highest goal scores in the National Hockey League you knew that there needed to be a better outcome and I thought the Blues came out with that immediately in that first period against Toronto and it was back and forth hockey it was the excitement that you get when these two teams go head to head and here's what I love about it. there were one power plays for each side. it was all even strength that's where the outcome came from I think that's an area of specialty for the Blues when they keep it at five on five hockey that's where they can perform well and Toronto just couldn't match up with it so the outcome was impactful for me and that's why I understand we were frustrated with that Montreal game and there's no excuses for it you can't have that happen. But you also look at it and you say, okay, well, there were variables into that. And then you bring that to Toronto. When the variables are different, the Blues look different.
0: Yeah, and I, I, like, I'm not going to excuse anything that happened against Montreal. That's a game that just flat out can't happen the yeah, way that Montreal's it did. Montreal's on a
3: two-game win streak. They're on the way to doing what the Blues did yeah. in 2018, 2019. Whatever
0: happened there, that's inexcusable. That can't happen, and I'm not going to pretend that it can just because they played better against Toronto. Two-game However, win streak. let's turn the page because what, what happened against Toronto was amazing. That That is that is a game that's what it looks like in the playoffs you you mentioned that alex that felt like a playoff atmosphere against a team that will be represented in the eastern conference in the postseason and joey vitale in the post game was talking about exactly that how the blues won what felt like a playoff game and how that portends good things for them in the postseason this
3: was a playoff style of game to me this was a five on five let the boys play let them play physical and let them just go at each other when you look and you match up against these two teams, this, this being a more of a playoff style of game, this is where the Blues, I think, are still just better. You're gonna see all the rankings and Toronto's always gonna be above the Blues because they got the sexy skill and they got the points and they got all the flash and dash. But from a playoff standpoint, from, from a grind it out, use your depth, five on five, let the best team win and when you eliminate the referees from the sequence. To me, this is why I still believe that the St. Louis Blues are better than teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs right now.
0: I don't know about that, but I'm not worried about that. Alex, what the Blues have done this year when they play against quality opponents is more often they, than not, they've come off on the winning side. They're 8-6-1 and one this year against teams that have at least 60 points on the season. That's pretty good. I haven't looked at what the other teams have done against those particular opponents. I can't imagine there's a whole lot that are in a similar status as the Blues right now. That have that kind of winning percentage against the best of the best in either the Eastern or the Western Conference. One and one this year against Colorado. Two and zero against Vegas. They're one and one against Tampa. One zero and one against Florida. They've had wins this year in their only matchups against Minnesota and Washington. One and one against Calgary. The win was really impressive. The loss was real bad. They've played really well against some of the best teams on their schedule. My biggest takeaway from the game on Saturday and my biggest takeaway from their games, really, against all of the best teams that have been on their schedule, their best is good enough to win a Stanley Cup this year. The problem is their worst is bad enough to lose against the worst of the worst, including Montreal, as we saw last Thursday night. So for me, as we look towards the trade deadline and we kind of push this thing forward here. I'm not worried about them increasing their ceiling. Their ceiling's high enough already, as is. The guys that they have currently on this roster are good enough to win the Stanley Cup when they're playing at their best. Their worst, though, is what you have to improve. And that's what I'm looking towards. What is our biggest weakness? If I'm Doug Armstrong, I need to patch that up. That is what I need to improve as we get closer to the trade.
3: And that's how Doug Armstrong and general managers look at their teams. They look at the best and they look at how you improve the worst. And it depends on the difficulty of improving the worst. But here's where I'm at on it. I'm not worried about their worst when it's against teams like Montreal and Arizona. Yes, they lost to two of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. But you're not playing those teams once you get into the playoffs. You're playing the teams that you have to ramp your level of play up. And you went through the list. They're 8-6-1 and one against those teams. But if you break it down even further than that, there was only one blowout. There was only one game that they were out of in the first period. And it was the Calgary Flames game. The Colorado Avalanche loss. That was a one-goal loss that they came back in the third period. Can I give you a theme for all of the bad games I know exactly what it It is is it's the goaltending it's the goaltending and that's where I was going to get to with this as well but you look at the games like the Carolina Hurricanes a one goal loss that you lost in the final moments Tampa Bay you lost that game in the third period Florida you lost it in a shootout nobody really cares about shootout losses the theme that you just mentioned it's not just the goaltending it's losing it in the third period and I think those are intertwined when you discuss Jordan Binnington and you discuss the third period collapses and not being able to hold on to the leads, but what I also look at is the fact that you did beat Colorado. You got 2-0 against the Vegas Golden Knights. You beat the Calgary Flames. You beat Minnesota. You beat Florida. Tampa. You've beaten these teams that everyone looks at, well, they are the higher echelon of this is the team that will win the Stanley Cup. Well, the Blues have been in all of these games against them, so I'm not worried about when they, they you know what, the bed against Montreal because I know that when they take on a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, their game is going to show up. Four to three
0: against Colorado, five to four against Edmonton, five three against Pittsburgh, seven one against Calgary.
3: All of those
0: except Calgary, third period, and those were all started by Jordan Bennington. I'm not saying he's the problem with the team this year, but I am saying there's a reason why Villa Huso is your answer in net right now. I don't know if this is going to continue, Alex. I have no idea what we can expect from Villa Huso down the stretch, but. Ryan O'Reilly was asked after the game last night, and I know you love hearing about the the guys, what they're saying about their respective teammates. This certainly sounded like a player that has full confidence in his goalie right now.
3: Yeah, he's been outstanding for us. You see tonight, um, you know, again, when we had those breakdowns, um, you know, just some huge stops that, uh, you know, really, you know, that could have changed the game for us. But, you know, he's so solid in there, calm and moving so well. You know, it's got great confidence. It's 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 nice to see. He was a big part of that win tonight. Gives uh, you know a real good chance to win. You know, there were two big saves that stand out to me about Ville Husso, and they were both on the third period. One was a deflection in front of the net that Ville Husso made with his like left leg pad, and it was going in the back of the net, and he saw it redirected and made that stop. That's a save common goaltenders don't make. That's the save that gives you confidence. The other one was Wayne Simmons late in the third period before the Blues scored that empty net goal. It was five three. Wayne Simmons toe-drags in the offensive zone and has two defensemen beat, takes a shot, who so stops it. Those are confident. Those are confidence-making saves, which your goaltender makes, the team responds to it. And I think the Blues play a certain style that if they know their goalie's gonna make the save, well, then they can get on their horses and they can be aggressive in the offensive zone. If they're concerned that their goaltender is not going to make the save where the blues have a slip up. I think the blues try and be a little bit more focused on that side of not turning the puck over, which in result turns the puck over. They're thinking too much, but I mentioned the third period, the common denominator with those losses against those top teams. I looked at this on the game on our post game show Saturday night, Jordan Binning, Jordan Bennington. Sorry. It's just (laughs) implanted in my head. Billy Huso has a 939 save percentage this season in the third period. He has allowed 10 goals in the third period. And if you go back in his last 12 games, which is games against the Calgary flames games against the uh, Washington Capitals, There's a couple of others in there that were some significant teams. He's allowed two goals, two goals in the third period in his last 12 games. Wow. That's a confident goaltender. And that gives a team the ability to shut down the opponent. You mentioned this before the show today. I'm going to allow people at home to do their
0: own homework on what Jordan Bennington did in his first 11 games as a starter back in 2019.
3: I'll let you do that. Well, 9-1-1 and one and one in Bennington's first 11 games, 9-1-1 one and one in Huso's first 11 games as a starter. Ville Huso in
0: his last 11 starts for the Blues. So this is going back to January 7th. So since he returned to the ice after that, uh, that brief spell off, he had about a month off and then he returned. Since then, he started 11 games. He's 9-1-1 and Alex he has a 940 save percentage in those 11 games. 940 in 11 starts against Washington and Nashville and Calgary um and Winnipeg, Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto. Like we've seen him go up against some pretty quality opponents in this stretch. I remember early on there was that hey yeah, Bennington's going up against a better teams, so that's part of why he's having more or less success than what we've seen from Ville uh uh nope, not any longer. There are no more excuses, explanations, whatever you want to call them. Ville Husso's your starter, and Alex, I've seen enough now to believe that this team can win a Stanley Cup with Ville in net. Now they Welcome need aboard. him to continue playing this way. It can't, he can't have a drop off in his performance, but. If he can keep it up, you don't have to be a 940 save percentage. That's absurd. What we've seen from him over the last but I'll take it. month and a half. This is we'll probably unsustainable, but, but you'll percentage. definitely take it if it's able to sustain <laughs> in any way, shape or form. If he can be around like a 915 the rest of the year, you can win a Stanley
3: Cup with that guy in net for you. You really can. Totally can. I mean, he's doing what Jordan Bennington did in the first year. Here's the interesting part with this. And I know you're, you're getting down the road with this, which doesn't matter. It's the here and now. But if Ville Husso does that performance the rest of the way and wins a Stanley Cup, is he the guy? And is this who he is? Or is somebody going to
0: overpay Ville Husso? Well, somebody's definitely going to overpay him. The question is, is that here or is that elsewhere? Well,
3: I don't think it's going to be here unless you're moving Jordan Bennington. But that's the question you got to ask. You get a goaltender who does this. You look at it and you say, oh, man, here he is. Here's the other thing. I think
0: you learn your lesson from Jordan Bennington and you don't resign him. Like, I know that's a weird thing to say in the middle of all yeah, of this. Let
3: Edmonton sign him for seven million dollars and a- then he'll collapse.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm not saying he's going to be bad in the future, but he very well may be average after this year. Ride this thing while it's hot. Mm-hmm. I don't know where this goes from from here, but enjoy this
2: while you got it. Enjoy it while you got it. See, I don't know if the lesson is... Not to re-sign him, I, I think the lesson is not to go long-term. Because remember, Bennington had that stopgap yeah, have deal. Have to if, if he's going to oh, get
0: I, he's I, this not. offseason, somebody's going to get a stopgap deal
2: with Willie Huuso. No. I mean, this is a this why is would a, he accept that? Because Jordan Bennington be offering took, him more. Jordan Bennington had one year yeah, and won a Stanley Binnington, Cup, Jordan and he Binnington took a stopgap was, deal.
3: Jordan Bennington had spent his entire career in the minors. Jordan Bennington also was. I mean, this
2: is Willie Huuso hasn't even played a full regular oh, season. 100
3: percent. He spent his entire years in the minors, but that's the reason why I think you would sign that extension. Plus he's 27 years old and Jordan Bennington, if I'm not mistaken, he was a
0: he was younger. He was, he like was younger when
3: he signed that that two-year gap. Yeah, because he's 28 years old now, and he's in his first year of this extension. So he was 26, a little bit younger than Ville Husso. If you're Ville Husso, I'm not signing a two-year gap because an injury could pop up. I could go cold. And more importantly, there's teams that are desperate now.
0: If, like Edmonton, oh yeah. you heard this. Je- Jeff Merrick was on with you over the weekend um, on the pregame show for the Blues Radio. You should listen to that, by the way. Alex does a great job with the pregames. Tomorrow, you'll hear him. Blues versus Flyers pregame for that one starting at five o'clock. He was on the pregame show with you and he said, hey, Edmonton's already drooling yeah. over the possibility of being able to add Husso in the offseason. Yeah, that's the exact type of team that should honestly go all in on Huso because you strike while the iron is hot. If you're Edmonton, you have to try to find an answer. The Blues are not in that same desperate spot because they believe eventually Jordan Bennington's going to be the guy it just hasn't been this year. So this offseason, if you got, get into a situation where somebody's offering five years at $6 million per year for Ville Husso, you can't do that if you're the Blues. Now, if he's willing to take a two-year, $10 million oh, yeah, deal, you absolutely
3: offer it to for him. For
0: sure. But I, I'm just not willing to go multiple or, I, longer on the year. I for forgot it, like, who we term. talked
3: to, but they made the comp to what Montreal had with their goaltending situation. Carey Price, Yaroslav Halak. And Price, of course got his job taken over by Yaroslav Halak. Montreal had a decision to make. They stuck with Carey Price and they let Yaroslav Halak walk. Look what happened. Yaroslav Halak, a very good goaltender, but has not been a number one goaltender for teams. Blues are going to have to come to that conclusion of, is Jordan Minnington the guy? Is Ville Husso the guy? M- my... My wager would be that they're going to go back to Jordan Bennington because he's going to get the net at some point and you hope it writes the ship and he's already under contract and yeah, it exactly. makes it you're under contract and you've seen it in the past. Billy Huso, you're just seeing this now and I'm not saying Billy's going to have a bad rest of his career, but just enjoy it while you have it and not worry about them locking up the goaltender because right now you've got enough to win a Stanley Cup. 100%. It, it, all you had to do this year was find the guy
0: that gives you a chance to win the cup while you're in this window and they found him right now. That's Billy. Huso. Alex, do you go back to Huso tomorrow night against Philly? Because I know previously you were talking and it was like, okay, you probably go to Jordan Bennington against Philadelphia. Uh, Man, I got to be honest with you. I think I'm going to Bennington at home against Buffalo. I I don't think I'm going with
3: him against Philly. I get it. And I I feel the same way, but I think you have to go to Jordan Bennington because it's it's just been a lot of time off. And if you're going to rely on you're gonna have to have Sorry, I get (laughs) it, but you're gonna have to have him at some point. Play better. Well, you're gonna have to get the opportunity to play better, and you have this gap. I think a lot of people would say, just ride Villehussa right now, you're getting the points. But what happens if you don't play him against Philly, or if you play him against Philly, and then you Hold on, I'm confusing myself. What happens if you don't play Bennington against Philly and then it's more days off and you're like, man, we need points to play against Buffalo. That first game where it's a back-to-back where you have to play Bennington, man, I'd be really worried about what the well, outcome you're playing looks better like.
0: Either Friday or Sunday, because it, that's, that's the quicker turnaround that you've got. If you if you play Bennington on Tuesday, you, you go around I, I and just, on, on Friday I, you go to Huso and then you probably I, go to Bennington on Sunday at Chicago. So that's why I, I think I'd push it off one more day. And, and I think see, I would go... Huso on Tuesday at Philadelphia. Give Bennington the start on Friday night at home against Buffalo. You've got a great atmosphere there. You're going to be at home coming off of this long, extended road just trip. Just like for the they team. said against
3: the New Jersey Devils. I hear
0: you, but that, I, I'm trying to give him the best chance possible. And oh, by the way, it's a terrible opponent that you're going up against. See, And the, then on Sunday in Chicago, I would go back to Huso. While you, so that way he gets a little bit of a rest. See,
3: here. And I think the way I look at this is I would probably play Bennington tomorrow against Philly. I'm playing Huso. In Buffalo and in Chicago, because he's got two days off in between Chicago and the Rangers. And then I'm going to play. But you only
0: get that one day off on Saturday going into that game uh, like It's it. enough
3: okay. for Billy Huso. And then honestly, I'm going to probably, if Bennington doesn't have a good performance against Philly, I'm going to probably keep playing Huso up until that New Jersey Devils game, which I got to make the decision. Do I want Bennington to play against the Devils again? No. Or do I put him against the New York Islanders and then Huso gets the Devils? So th- tomorrow is going to be a pivotal point. Pivotal, pivotal point? for Jordan Bennington, because if you don't play him against Philly, then you're right. You're playing against Buffalo, but if you play him against Buffalo, then you're basically going to have to be playing him again in a couple of days. And I just don't know if they want to do that right now. When you need points
0: with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. in 15 minutes or so. Is there any comparison to what we're seeing from this unique player I'm not sure there is. We'll tell you who that is coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, Nico Mikula is doing everything that he needs to to convince Alex that he's a top four defenseman. Has he done enough to convince you, the listener? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line. We'll answer that next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. i thought we did a good job of protecting the the middle of the ice especially in our end Uh, they're a very good team at finding it i thought uh, you know we did a great job of that third period we 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 let a couple slip there but our goalie came up big for us in the third made some big saves uh and we we scored on our opportunities tonight stayed out of the penalty box
0: with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie That was Craig Berube after the win on Saturday night. And sometimes, Tanner, I feel like our role on this show is to hear Alex out, and, and then just bring him back to reality a oh, little okay. bit. I feel like that's your guys' role for me during the Cardinal season sometimes. Oh, you guys time. hear me out about how Tommy Edmonds going to be the, next, the the second coming of Ben Zobrist. You never said that because you hate Tommy Edmonds. And then you, would, you, B- and, and then you, and you tell me, hey, no, they should not sign him to a seven-year contract extension. <laughs> yeah. That would not be a good idea. Or I I'd tell you, hey, you know, Bader for five years at $50 million, that would make a lot of sense for the Cardinals. You tell me, no, BK, they don't need to do that. And we kind of move on, and you you bring me back down to reality.
2: We go home and we go, what the blank was he talking about So earlier? on Saturday night, day. when
0: we got a text from Alex that said, Nico Mikul has done everything that the Blues need him to in order to consider him to be a top-pairing defenseman with Colton Pareko, I think our job at that point in time, Tater, was to make sure that Alex knew, Hey, hey, big guy, I appreciate what Nico so Mikul has done. Low. Let's let's reel it in just, just make a, a Hulk little bit.
2: Reference? I did. I was hoping Ryder would appreciate that. Ryder doesn't listen to us. Alex, can you
0: can you sell us on the notion that after a plus five against Toronto, Colton Pareko and Nico Mihail are good enough to be your top pairing defensively? Uh,
3: I'm not going to sell you on the fact that they're good enough this season. But what I will sell you on is the fact that if they don't strike the trade deadline and acquire Mark Giordano. I don't think this Blues' is go- team is going to be in a bad situation. I mean, how can you watch that game against Toronto the other night where they eliminated Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? Like Austin Matthews had one shot on goal through two periods of play. They ended the game with six shots on goal and didn't have a point in that hockey game. That Some of that is to the forwards because Robert Thomas was matched up against Mitch Marner and their line God, did good. their line did outstanding against Toronto. But you got to look at the defense. I, I mean, Nico Mikula has continuously played top defenseman minutes. Now, some games they haven't gone great for him. Go to the Calgary game where they lost 7 1, where they benched him. But you know how many minuses he has in the month of January? got three and one of them was from that Calgary game. The other one was a minus one in the game that they beat the Calgary Flames and the other one was a minus against the Pittsburgh Penguins where we all know that game got out of hand for Nico Mikola. and I know plus minus is such a weird stat for some people but I also look at the way that they've performed against other teams top lines. Some nights doesn't go well but guess what that happens to the best defenseman in the National Hockey League but other nights when you're facing against Connor McDavid and Mikula and Pareko were paired up against them the night that they beat Edmonton That line, I think, had one point, and it was on the power play. They've matched up against Jamie Benn of the Dallas Stars, and they've eliminated that line. Nashville did the exact same thing. Calgary, when they were here, they played again against the Kachuk-Goudreau-Linholm line. They shut them down. I'm not saying is the guy that's going to be playing with Pareko and win this team a Stanley Cup. But what I am saying is I think this team can... I think this team can compete for a Stanley Cup if they go out there and add somebody to play on the third pairing and let Mikola continue to perform with Colton Pareko. I will go here with you. I'll I'll kind of meet you in the middle. I think there was a point in time where I felt
0: desperate about the Blues' top-pairing defensive situation. I, I felt like they had to improve... As quickly as possible with the best candidate possible, even if that didn't mean going out there and getting a guy that I really believed is a legit top pairing defenseman. Like there was a point in time where Alex, we were saying to one another, you know what? If they are able to go out there and get Zdeno Chara, maybe he's fine. Maybe he's good enough to be able to put up there with Colton Pareko as his pairing. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel desperate that they have to go out there and just get anybody, get a warm body to put with Colton Pareko because what they have isn't good enough. I do feel like Nico Mikola gives you the right of first refusal kind of a situation where if the if the prices do get outrageous on Giordano or Sherrod or Chikrin, which it will definitely be outrageous for Chikrin. If they get to the point where you're not willing to go there for any of those guys, you're okay with saying no. And that does give Doug Armstrong some leverage. And I do think that's a much better position to be in going into the trade deadline than a place of desperation. So, Tanner, I know a few weeks ago we we both said, hey, the Blues are desperate right now. And other teams can smell the blood in the water. And that's a bad place to be in if you're trying to trade for something. I don't necessarily feel that same desperation right now. I do still feel like, though. For this team to, for me to feel super confident about them going into the playoffs, going up against the best of the best, especially a team like Calgary or Colorado or Vegas, I would feel a whole hell of a lot better about their chances if they had somebody other than Nico Mikkel as their top pairing defenseman.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that's where I am too. Is like, okay, are they extremely desperate for the top four defensemen now? No, because Mikla has played pretty well, as Alex just mentioned. He's only had a minus in three games since January, and one of those was just that really bad game in Calgary. So you can just throw that one out the window. But I I agree that they still need that top four defenseman because – I look at them now and I say, can they compete with the Colorado Avalanche? Yes, but I would favor Colorado in that series. And that's really the only—and I'm probably making the mistake here. They're the only team I'm looking at because I've heard Doug Armstrong say, that's the team in the Western Conference, and they're the team you're probably going to have to go through in the Central Division to get to the Western Conference Finals. Sure, you're going to run into a Nashville or you're going to run into a uh, Minnesota, but we've talked about it. They match up well with Minnesota. I still don't look at—I think they play well against Nashville, so I'm not too concerned about those. Mine is basically what can they do to beat the Colorado Avalanche to get to at least the Western Conference Finals. And I think if they can get there, they can get to the Stanley Cup. And to me, it's that top four defense. And I think that's what they're lacking. And I think if they get a top four defense and let's say, it's Mark Giordano, I think it becomes cup or bust for this Blues team. And I think they're at that point in this window to where you can salvage a first-round pick. The window's still going to be open. Doug Armstrong told us uh, two, three weeks ago, hey, we think the window's actually been extended because we've got guys like Kyru and Thomas and Navis that are playing really well. So... Go ahead, go in, get that top four defenseman. And I think it becomes cup or bust for the St. Louis Blues.
3: All I'm saying is I think you, people need to look at this team differently than they need to get Mark Giordano or Jacob Chikrin, who's not the top defenseman, or Ben Chirot, who's not the top defenseman. What needs to change for this Blues team is what we saw in action against Toronto. 25 minutes and 41 seconds for Colton Pareco, 23.07 for Falk, 23.04 for Nico Migola, 20.55 for Tori Krug. Your other two defensemen, Bortuzzo and Wallman, played 12 and a half minutes. Go look at the Colorado Avalanche, what they do. Their mm-hmm. last game against the Buffalo Sabres. Their top guys, 23 minutes and a, 23 and a half minutes. It's Makar and Devon Taves. But behind them, Samuel Gerrard and Eric Johnson, 20 and 17 minutes. Their third pairing defensemen play 15, 16 minutes a night. You have to have six defensemen who can play in the, in the playoffs. That's why they had success when they had Carl Gunnarsson and Joel Edmondson and Robert Bortuzzo, who could play more than 12 minutes a night. If you don't get, don't get me wrong. I I would love Mark Giordano on this team. Mark Giordano puts me in the same category, I think, better than Colorado because of the depth that this team has on offense. But if they can't get one of those guys and they get a, I don't know, uh, I don't think Sedano Chara is the right match, but... uh, for, for lack of a better Justin name. Braun. Justin Braun, Ryan Graves, something like that. If you get somebody who can play top four minutes, but as a third-pairing defenseman, I think this team is just in the same spot as they would be in terms of adding a Mark Giordano, because I think the depth helps this team. If you do that, what's the plan for Scott Perinovich? Like, I'm, I'm not saying you need to make any
0: moves based on Perinovich. In fact, you shouldn't. He should not factor in at this point to your plans, considering he's... Play, how, how many games has he even played this it's like year? It's got to be 20? fewer than 10, right? No,
3: I think it's like 16 because he came up it when, that those, many? when those oh, guys 19. were injured. Wow, it, yeah. it does not feel like it's been that many. He Came but, up when those guys were injured. I mean, I, I'm not planning on seeing him again this year. I, am I wrong for that, Alex? Well, it, it'll Barring be inter- some sort of injury. It'll be interesting. Yeah, the injury is going to obviously what plays into this, but also like he was sent down on, on conditioning. So he's got to be brought back up, but they can also send him back down and keep Dakota Joshua up here. I, I just don't know where Perunovic fits on this team if you're going to make a trade because Perunovic is probably a eighth defenseman if you don't move Marco Scandella. Like it or not, Marco Scandella is going to get playing time over Scott Perunovic, but Scott Perunovic just isn't a bottom pair defenseman. He should be playing in your top four, but there's no room for him in your top four. So for me, yeah, I think I would let him just play the rest of the season in the American Hockey League. I mean, this is his first full season playing in the NHL, playing pro hockey since... The last two years in college, which was canceled, and then his injury, I, I, I kind of look at a player uh, he's M- called Mackenzie Weger for the Florida Panthers. He's their top four defenseman right now. He's a little bit bigger than Pernovich, but he spent three full seasons in the American Hockey League. And I think that's what you might be, not three full seasons, but look at Pernovich the way you looked at Jordan Cairo. Just get him some seasoning, get him some reps. Don't make him a healthy scratch up at the NHL. Just let him dominate the AHL in next season. Have him compete for a top four spot. Do
0: for him what you did with Jake neighbors with juniors, Jake neighbors right now. I saw it the other day. I think he's on like a 13 game point streak or something like that. I mean, he's putting up crazy numbers right now, which is exactly what they wanted him to do. They just wanted him to go dominate. So next year he comes back. He's top nine forward for the blues and he's ready to go for the blues after playing a full season this year. Do the same thing right now with Scott Perunovich, but down in the AHL. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line if you would like to get your questions into the show. Coming up next, though, last night was a full display of, in my opinion, one of the most exciting athletes of the 21st century. What's the comp for this guy? We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Curry has performance and a feed in James. Look at this. Faster. 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 The yeah, since we can't keep up. Yeah. three.
0: Last night was an unbelievable scene. Tanner. I know you were watching some of this. Alex, how much of the NBA All-Star game did you watch? By the way, that audio courtesy of Turner Sports.
3: Some of it, but I also got caught up watching a movie with my wife. So I was flipping. I, I caught the first half of that, and then we got uh, invested in a movie. So Sorry. you watched the bad part of the All-Star game. That oh, sounds about right. So I missed the best part? And that's yes, probably so. why I'm not as excited about it as you two. If you
0: are a fan of the NBA, the only thing you need to watch, and anybody that, that watched last night, I'm sure you can agree with this. It's only the fourth quarter. And this All-Star game with the Elam ending, which is amazing, they they set a target score so guys actually start playing towards the end of the game. The fourth quarter is awesome. Everything else is completely unnecessary unless you just want something on Good. in the background. I'm glad I wasted my evening then. That being said, I'm Steph waste. Curry completely Watching stole the, the show game. last night. No. He finished the game 16 for 27 from beyond the arc. Man, he was shooting from the logo. He was shooting from midcourt. And he was, there was one Alex where he shot it from the logo turned around before he even saw anything that was approaching the rim and knew it was going in.
3: That doesn't surprise me at all.
1: He's amazing,
0: (laughs) man. I've never seen anything like it. And I never in my life thought I would come on the radio the day after the NBA all-star game and would say to everybody, this guy made shooting cool. Steph Curry made shooting the basketball really cool. Nobody has ever done it the way that he does. And there are this weekend, for example, like the three point contest has become a bigger deal in the NBA than the dunk contest. Think about that for a second.
2: Dunk contest. Dunk uh,
3: contest has just
0: gotten awful. I, I'm totally with you putting you guys.
3: people in there that's not enjoyable to watch.
0: I'm totally with you. However, the three point contest ain't great. Like they had who was it a couple of years? Was it Jokic that won it? It was some big man. A big man won yeah, it a couple Towns, of years I ago. I mean, big man Towns, Carl Anthony that, Towns won it this year. That 10, 15, 20 years ago, nobody was watching that with those guys involved in it. And Steph Curry, part of his legacy, was making that into the biggest event of All-Star Weekend. And then on Sunday, for him to have this kind of a showcase where he broke the record for most three-pointers ever made in a single All-Star game, he was very close to breaking the scoring record, finished with 50 points in that one. I I can't think, Alex, and maybe you have a better comparison for me, I'm not sure who the guy is in another sport that made something cool the way that steph curry made shooting cool in the nba is there a guy that's like man that guy made passing really cool in the yeah, NBA? allen iverson
3: made dribbling cool for me
0: like i used to i but that's used that's always to, been cool like having really great handles has for as long as the game's been around that's yeah, been something like, that inherently you remember, inherently really you remember
3: cool. when you when you practiced basketball maybe you didn't because you're not an i played basketball right Oh well, that shot down. A- Alex calling me not an athlete is rich. Well, both of us <laughs> aren't. Especially athletes. for a guy
2: that gets out. Uh, the wind knocked out of him going up the stairs.
3: Oh yeah, that's true. That is very true. But I mean, for, like nobody wants to to practice dribbling in basketball, right? No, you just expect. Yeah, you just expect it to be there. For me, that was always the fun part because, like, I would try and be like Allen Iverson to do the quick moves between the legs, behind the back, bringing up the court quickly. Somebody mentioned Tiger Woods with
0: golf. That that might be a good one. It, of like, golf was not considered to be a quote. Cool, cool sport and yeah. then tiger kind of made it feel that way there's some truth to that for sure i mean
3: in st louis brett hall made hockey cool i mean i think that's the the perfect comp with it because people liked it but when brett hall was on scene that's where all of the ice rings started to show up and that's where all of the kids got into hockey that's when that's i started point. to get into hockey brett hall made hockey cool here in st louis on a national stage i don't know if there's that many guys Kobe Bryant but basketball was already cool because of yeah, Michael Jordan and I'm talking
0: about a specific skill set because it's yeah. not just
3: that Steph Curry is great
0: like Steph Curry is an unbelievable hall of fame one of the best basketball players in the history of the sport did Mike but there's Tyson one do that specific was, skill knockouts yeah but, but knockouts were always cool but, but but boxing because I don't know if
3: boxing was I mean, Muhammad Ali Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, wasn't b- boxing alive at, that at one time. point
0: was the, the coolest sport in the world. So I, um, somebody mentions Ken Griffey Jr. with home runs. I'm not sure it was the home runs that he made cool, but he made baseball feel he really cool. Michael
3: Vick as a mobile quarterback.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- there were other guys before him. Like,
3: Randall Cunningham w- was that guy oh, before. see, but, like, the first one that, like, if you were to say who's the first person you think of as a mobile quarterback, I'd think of Michael Vick. And that's I just because yeah. you weren't
0: around with, with Cunningham. Yeah. Like,
3: I-, I think he was that
0: guy. T- Fran Harkinson w- was that guy before him as well. Like, there there were other running quarterbacks, but th- that's the thing with, with Steph, too, and may- maybe this is kind of to your point Has on Has Mahomes
3: on, done on this Vic. with the side the side arm pass?
2: Maybe. the no, no, look. But, but like, is like, that something I mean, athletes he, I, are doing I now? I think he made it cool, but it... But it wasn't like it wasn't like it was before. Like Matthew Stafford threw sidearm. Oh, before. Okay, I think like, that right, was let's, saying, let's get out of there. no, 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 it's no. It's cool cool to look, to that's true. I, he did. I think Mahomes made it cool because he did it and he did it while well No looking too. Like he add another yeah, element. So the to no it.
3: look passes is maybe the better way
2: to do yeah. it. That's
0: that's a good point because like. People shot three pointers before Steph Curry got into the league. It's yeah, not Reggie as if he were, Reggie Miller. Reggie was Miller awesome, was awesome. point. Awesome. Nash, Ray, like, Ray Allen. You had some great mm-hmm. shooters before Steph Curry got it. Rick Barry, like, there, there were some mm-hmm. really all time great shooters before Steph. Steph just made what their skill was cool. And that's what's so, it, it, it's a phenomenon about Steph Curry is like, he took this thing that guys were doing that was considered to be like the the losing argument for winning basketball games. Like you needed the big guy. You needed the slasher. You needed the guy that was going to hit the mid range jumper.
3: People didn't really talk
0: a whole lot about you can win a title with your best player being a three point shooter. That was seen as that there's, he was too little. He he couldn't win inside. Like the, the way that Steph Curry played, you, you can't win that way in the NBA, not at the highest of levels. And then he did it. He won at the highest level, won multiple rings, and now you see him on a stage where all of the greatest players in the sport are all there, and he's the best one, man. He's the best one on that stage. So I I just wanted to take some time because I – there aren't very many guys that have the kind of legacy that Steph Curry is going to leave within the NBA because of what he's been able to do by making the three-point shot cool for all of us watching the game. He, he was the star of the show last night. It was amazing to watch.
2: Yeah, and I can't really think of anything, maybe like Ozzy Smith in defense for like St. Louis. Like yeah, that's a good one. That's
0: a really good one. Yeah, and
2: I was originally thinking outfield. I think Jim Edmonds made it in the outfield pretty cool for fans. Although, I guess, no, Willie McGee was probably up there too, but I, I think those 80s teams made defense cool for a lot of Cardinals fans. Like, you look at that defense, and I, we've heard Danny Mac tell us before, on the show when we, we was Danny Mack's show with BK that, you know, that was the best defensive team he's ever seen in the 80s. You had uh, Hernandez at first, Oberkfell, you had Smith, you had Tommy Hurt playing at second, so I mean maybe defense was kind of the thing for Cardinals fans growing up in those 80s because those teams were really good throwing out base dealers. Yachty throwing, that's another because good how one many too. People wanted the to back play pick, out. that's the big yeah, one for Yachty, the back pick one. with Albert. How many
3: people wanted to play defense or play outfield position when they got into baseball? Like everyone wanted to be the shortstop or the third baseman or the first baseman, like nobody wanted to play outfield until you started to see those 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 highlight reel catches and then it's like oh, okay now i want to play defense in the outfield
0: somebody else mentioned odell beckham with one-handed catches that's, that's a, a really good one, good one. That's, a, that's a really uh, good he, one. his his debut that that monday night game where he had the one-handed catch in the corner of the end zone the front corner uh, it's it's one of the most famous moments of any football game in the last 20 years who who would you say it's a regular season game would you say
2: it's more of a position itself becoming offensive tony gonzalez at tight end because remember, Titan used to be just viewed as kind of that extra blocker, and maybe he'd run out for passes. But I feel like he made Tony it cool Gonzalez... to go from basketball to football. Okay, he, he was
0: the first guy that made that transition. I guess that's the better copy um, I... from because bat- he he basically paved the way for Antonio Gates, what about and then that Jimmy paved Graham the way for Jimmy Graham,
3: Deion Sanders for corner. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, I think there's some truth to that for sure. He, he made it cool to be a shutdown corner. I, I think there's definitely some truth to that. Um, there, there's definitely some examples in other sports, but. Never in a million years did I think that we we would get to the point where it, it was really cool <laughs> to be a part of the three point contest and to get into the all star game and to be the guy.
3: That I was always thought it was cool everywhere. to shoot three pointers. Like even when I was playing, like in fifth grade, you'd be the one that because you know you're not strong enough to shoot that, so you just hurl balls from the three point oh, line. That's the bad part of his legacy
0: is now you got ten year olds that are at the Y hey, that are shooting <laughs> from deep before they figure out how hey, to you're shoot. you always a layup. open, man. Let it fly. <laughs> yeah. Come like, up in ten minutes. Robert Thomas has officially made the leap that we're. We're all waiting for and Alex as his Ferrario five. I I don't know what this list is going to look like. The five best blues players this oh, season. Logan
1: Brown's number one.
0: Okay. All right. That's coming up at is. the top of the hour. Questions and answers coming up
1: next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. Text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
0: 5780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. If you guys want to get involved to in the show at any point in time, you can always do it on the text line or you can hit us up via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Alex will have his Ferrari 05 coming up here in just about five minutes or so. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey guys, what happens if Jordan Bennington doesn't get back on track this year? How does that affect the long term outlook for the
2: Blues? puts one big giant question mark on it in my opinion i mean you you better hope you got great backups
3: for the next couple of years because uh, unfortunately you're really not getting out of this contract if you want to i mean you're in this contract at least for four years and rightfully so i mean the hope is he gets back to this if he looks like this again next year well then you better hope that you got another brian elliott carter hutton back there um, maybe you get Ville Huso locked up. Maybe you bring Charlie Lindgren back, and he's your backup goaltender because we saw him this year. But, I mean, every team in the NHL has to have a good backup goaltender. So that's where David Alexander in the scouting department has done a phenomenal job of, of bringing in guys. But if he doesn't get back to himself, well, then you're going to have another goaltender probably – take over the quote-unquote goalie controversy
2: yeah and I, I just think it puts a big question mark on everything because then you head into the offseason going okay it almost feels like we have to bring back potentially who so or if you have faith in Lindgren being the backup you've got that but I mean I agreed with you I think you said earlier in the show Alex that next year Bennington you talked about the Carey Price Halak uh, situation Blues are going to have to choose it's probably gonna be Bennington because he's under contract well if you end up letting Huso walk Bennington becomes the guy there are going to be massive question marks heading into the offseason of whether or not he can get back on track, especially if he doesn't show any sign of it in the regular season. And and I think it could be something that I don't know if it's enough to hamper. It's enough to hamper the Stanley Cup window, this window that the Blues are in if he doesn't get back on track, if they don't find a good backup. That's why I think it's just a big question mark I think. Yeah, I
3: think it becomes a a key for the Blues to have to upgrade defensively. I think Vladimir Tarasenko no longer is a trade piece of getting a Matthew Kachuk If you're trading Vladimir Tarasenko, he's a piece that gets you somebody to play on defense in your top pairing. Have you seen what Charlie Lindgren is doing down in the AHL, by the way? He's been outstanding for
0: this.
2: He hasn't been really good. I'm telling
3: yeah. you, this is a guy. So is
2: James Neal. He's playing well.
3: Yeah, James Neal's starting to score some goals again. Charlie Lindgren is is like the perfect example of a Blues backup goaltender. In a system for the longest time, backing up Carey Price, never getting your opportunity. You get your opportunity and you just run the show with it. That's how you get yourself a contract. It would not surprise me if they extend him and give him a one-year, one-way contract next He's year. He's 14-2-1. In the he, AHL, he's also only wow. 28
0: years old. 14-2 and one, giving up 2.3 goals on average, and has a 9-21. Is he the percentage. best
3: goalie in the American Hockey League? I Can you pull up the leaders on up? That?
0: I don't know, but I would have to imagine he's right up there. You know, I mean, he's... I saw Springfield was really good,
2: too. I was looking at their numbers the other night. Well, yeah, because yeah.
3: they finally got their team back for about a month. they Basically, their entire team was in St. Louis. They're at the top of the standings right now, the Atlantic Division.
2: It wouldn't surprise
3: 14,
0: me. 26 5 on the year.
3: It wouldn't surprise me if he gets a one-year, one-way contract extension yeah. with the Blues next year.
0: Somebody said, how far off is Joel Hofer? He's clearly their number two right now. In terms of their goalie
2: situation, yeah,
3: I mean he's—I mean they just drafted him what two years ago. I mean he, goalies take a look how long it took for Ville to get to the NHL. So
2: Lindgren is sixth in goals against, and then in save percentage he is eighth. Wow, well, so sixth and eighth is trying to—that's really good for a
3: guy who just joined a team playing with a, a an American Hockey League team. Six
0: five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line from the three one four. Uh, guys, if defense is so bad, why does Villejuso have the best save percentage in the league? Doesn't that go against what we've been saying about the Blues defense so far this year?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, look at the advanced stats with it. I mean, the expected goals against is... Who would push back against that? Who would push back against that? It's advanced Multiple analytics. People. Was it Dom? It was probably Dom. No,
0: Dom's the one that's putting that <laughs> are stuff you out
3: there. I that's like Dom's Alex, and, you're the one that pushes that's, back that's against like Dom's them. Average Monday about? night. It's always, about it's, goals? Always, it's always a team stat. But yeah, I mean, but I mean, you could go through every game. You can. You can pick through it with a fine-toothed comb to find, like, certain games, they're only allowing 14 shots on goal. And then other games with Husso and net, they're allowing 35 shots on goal. It's an up-and-down season. You're going to have bad games, you're going to have good games, and that goes back. Sometimes your defense plays well, sometimes they don't play well. That's why you need your goaltender.
2: And yeah. those low-number games are just against bad opponents. Like, yeah. the low-number shot games, like Chicago, uh, who was the other one that they Ottawa? it was the next game so no yeah it was ottawa yeah we're giving up like 16 17 shots in
3: montreal montreal they only gave up 20 shots on goal yeah no it was ottawa and montreal not chicago
0: the the blues defense is not good and also it doesn't matter when Ville huso is out there as much because Ville huso has been better like it, it's just as simple as Ville huso is a better goalie right now than Jordan Bennington is. Yep. That doesn't mean that that will be the case long term. Doesn't mean in 2023 I would rather have Husso than And your team's Bennington. more confident in front of them.
3: Brian right. O'Reilly said it himself.
0: Yeah, I, I think that this is just a matter of the, the Blues are a better team because Huso stops the shots that Bennington is not. I, I don't think a whole lot else changes. I think he's just a better goalie for them. Uh, Last thing here from the 3-1-4. Hey guys, I saw earlier today that it looks like MLB and the MLBPA are actually going to start negotiating in one place down in Jupiter do you expect that a deal will be done by the end of the week?
2: No. I I, I think there's a chance. I heard Jesse Rogers on character and small Wind this morning. It was a really good interview. Check it out. 101 ESPN.com. I heard him say that he he's more optimistic than some other people in the business of that. They could not get a deal done this week, but build some really good momentum towards something. He thinks they get one done. Yeah. Oh, did he really say, okay, Mm -hmm. I missed that then. I thought he said that they're going to build momentum. Okay.
3: That's not getting one done. That's like me saying it season will start on time.
2: I I could see them getting some momentum kind of building towards something. I just don't know if they'll get a deal done hammered out this week. It may be next week if they're going to build momentum this week towards it because I agreed with him. You know, neither side's really offered up their best best offer yet and the MLBPA's I agree with also the stance of you know they want to move the uh, what is it the cbt threshold and they also want to do something with the super twos they're probably going to use one of those two they'll dump one and use it as a bargaining chip and it's an interesting strategy I don't, i don't know if we get a deal done this week it may be next week but they have to build momentum this week I, this week I, is crucial
3: i think by saturday or sunday they'll have a deal I think this time next week they got one. Yeah. Cuz Monday's the deadline, right? Mm-hmm. I think Saturday or Sunday they're going to they're going to have a de- a verbal deal in place that they just need to complete. I think the players are going to cave. Oh, okay.
2: See, I don't think the players are going to cave.
3: I do. I think they're going to have to. I think that all of their their all of their chips that they're trying to hold are just starting to deplete more. Well,
2: if the the players cave we will be back in five years because i I think they i think they oh gosh i hope it's more than (laughs) a three-year deal i I think the players this is the strongest they've felt on some of these issues and i think they're not going to cave i think the owners will i think they're going to kind of get closer towards the middle and i think that's where the deal will be reached
0: i just don't know that the owners are going to go there i I hope you're right i hope we get a deal that's actually good for both sides and we end up coming out of this saying, hey both of these teams both of these sides actually ended up being able to get closer to the middle i just I have no reason to believe that the owners will actually do that because we haven't seen it so far. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Alex is gonna give his Ferrario five on the five best players this season. And also, Robert Thomas? Where does he rank on that list? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think he's finding guys more than ever in open spots uh, in, in the slot, and uh,
3: he's had success so far this year. We and we need we need that to keep going. We need. I, I also think his defensive game uh, has taken another level. He's, he's taken more pride in it, and I think he still got
1: uh, more levels to go, which is um, I think a really good sign for, for if I'm a fan of uh, the Blues and as a teammate, it's great good.
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was. David Perron on with Carriker and Smallman late last week, talking about the step that Robert Thomas has taken this year. Alex in year four, Adam Oates scored 16 goals and had 62 assists. Someone made this comp before. So far this year, if you go by the pace, this is year four, by the way, for Robert Thomas, he's on pace for 14 goals and 60 assists. He is basically on pace to match what Adam Oates did four years into his NHL career As Robert Thomas is doing this year.
3: The difference is year five for adam oates and robert thomas because adam oates became a 90 100 point player and
2: i don't know if thomas I, is getting there i, I not, sense a bko yeah. i sense important. one too
0: i did not compare him to what adam oates did in 1993 when he finished with 45 goals and 97 assists and had 142 points on yeah. the season. Wow. but here he comes <laughs> ladies and gentlemen not making that comparison i'm just looking at what they both did in year four don't shoot the messenger that's just the reality say it with me bko bko, B-K-O. B-K-O! Robert Thomas has clearly taken that step. I remember a couple of years ago, Alex, we talked with Craig Berube about what he wanted to see from Robert Thomas, to, to be able to take that step from being a really good player to being a legit star in the league. And he basically described the player that we're watching right now. Last or on Saturday night, he was matched up against the top line from Toronto. And we've seen that a number of times this year when they need a guy to go out there and they need a line to go out there to shut somebody else down. There have been times this year where it's not Ryan O'Reilly's line. It's actually Robert Thomas' line that they're sending out there, which I find to be very interesting. He's getting some of those really difficult minutes. I think that's good for the Blues because they're able to alleviate some of that workload from Ryan O'Reilly. I think that's part of why we're seeing O'Reilly getting his offensive game, finding that a little bit more of late. So Robert Thomas has clearly taken that next step. And over the weekend, I texted you, Alex. Are we sure that Robert Thomas... Isn't the best player on this Blues team right now? And it made me think. This feels like a Ferrario five to me.
3: It absolutely is a Ferrario five. It's been a long time, boys. T Bone, hit the open.
1: You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario five, a top five list of very random things. So Ferrario, give us your top five.
3: Thomas didn't make my list. Just kidding. Just wanted to see your reaction. Ladies and gentlemen, I it was, was about wonderful. I was No, but two that didn't make this list, Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly. R- Vladdy did not make Vlady your top five. Vladdy didn't make this list. He, was number, six. This year. he was number six. For how they played this year.
2: What kind of six. list is this? Well,
3: and here's where I'm at with Vladdy. Uh, Vladdy, look, everyone goes through cold wow. spells, and Vladdy's gone through he some leads cold spells. He the team in points. Understandably so, but I think Vladdy... is also a product of the guys that he's been playing with. And I think that's where you come into the players that are on this list right now. And it's disappointing. I disagree with you, but we can go through your top five. I'm sorry. Is this a BK buildup that we're getting to? It would
2: have included Vladdy. It
3: didn't. (laughs) It wouldn't have. I'm just, hey, I mean, you got to pick five players. And I just, I think these five. to make has been better than Vladi here. And it's disappointing not having Ryan O'Reilly on this list, but it's been a tough year for him. Did
2: they lose a spot to Brown?
3: No, they didn't. (laughs) I promise you that. No, I'm not going to take that backlash. Pavel Buchnevich is number five on this list. And I think that kind of goes into the Vladi Tarasenko conversation. I think Vladi has benefited from having Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich this season, and more so than Pavel Buchnevich, because, I mean, he's not just a goal scorer. He's a playmaker. He's... Brings a little physicality into his game. And this was the other reason why I didn't have Vladdy on this list. Pavel Buchnevich does everything. Power play, penalty kill, five on five, three on three, four on four. You need him, he's going out there. Guys, Vladdy's not going to be playing on the penalty kill for you. Vladdy can at times be a defensive liability. So if I'm looking at best player, Pavel Buchnevich is number five on this list. Okay.
0: I mean, Bucinavich, there's a strong case to be made he's deserving uh, over. I, well, that's over the bloody. thing. All of these, that.
3: you can make an argument that they could yeah. be number one. Number four on this list was Robert Thomas. And a lot of this is because of what he has done and kind of ties in with Pavel Bucinavich. Also, the playmaking ability. He's also a game changer. Like, we're talking about Thomas like we are talking about Ryan O'Reilly last couple of seasons, where when you needed to fix it, you put him on the line with Robert Thomas and they get going. And it's hard to argue with that. Plus no coincidence that the penalty kill is top five in the national hockey league. When Robert Thomas is one of the top forward ice getters in penalty kill, time. by
0: the way, to your point on going back to Pavel Buchnevich over, over Vladimir Tarasenko when Robert, Ta- or excuse me, when Pavel Buchnevich and Vlad are on the ice together, they have outscored opponents at five on five, 16 to six. When Vladimir Tarasenko is on the ice without Pavel Buchnevich, his line has been outscored by his opponents at five on five, 27 to 17. So he's been outscored by 10 points when he is out there without Pavel Buchnevich. He has outscored his opponents by 10 10 goals whenever he's out there with Pavel Buchnevich. Just to to support your point.
3: Number three on this list is Justin Falk. And I'd love for somebody to make an argument with me on this because Justin Falk has been their best defenseman and third best player in my opinion because Colton Pareco hasn't been himself. Tory Krug has gotten better this season and a lot of that is because of Justin Falk. Justin Falk last time I checked he was second in ice time on the Blues, in terms of average per game ice time, Justin Falk right behind Colton Pareko, mm-hmm. but it was a really close second. And on top of it, you have a guy who is sitting top 10 in plus minuses as a defenseman who, mind you, is getting a lot of offensive zone time, but doesn't have a lot of offensive points. So Justin Falk, his all around game has been much better this season, and I think he puts himself above Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich as their third best player, because without Justin Falk, I don't know if this team's sitting in a playoff spot.
0: I'm trying to think who I think you're going to go with for your top two.
3: Kairou's up there.
0: I, Huso's got to be up Kyru there. I'm Kairou and
3: Huso? That, that's my assumption, but and it's Brown and Costin. Just kidding. Nope. number two on this list is Ville Huso. And Ville Huso, I mean, his numbers speak for themselves for what he's accomplished this season. And number one was Jordan Kairou. And, and the only reason I have Jordan Kairu here is because I think he is a difference maker. I guess my question would be this.
0: How is Jordan Kairou number one on your list? And Vladimir Tarasenko doesn't make the list. What does Kairou do that Vladi has not this year? Because they have the same number of goals. Tarasenko has one more assist. They've played the same number of games. Vladdy is playing more ice time so far this year.
3: Understandable. But I just think with Jordan Kairou, there's a, a certain aspect of his game that makes a difference on the ice his speed his playmaking ability his his ability to create offense by himself i just don't know if vladimir tarasenko has that ability jordan kairu can take the puck into the offensive zone and create a scoring opportunity by himself without anybody passing him the puck hasn't vladdy done that pretty well this year though i think think
0: vladdy's done a much better job this year of being a playmaker for others than i've seen from him at times in the past he
3: has been much better at that but i also believe that vladdy benefits from having the guys on the line with him and I just think Jordan Cairo has created offense a lot this season wherever he's played. I, I for, for what it's worth I'm only making this argument because I think that Vladimir
0: Tarasenko is deserving of being on this list that being said I've got to take somebody off
2: I would take Falk off and, oh, and Falk's been really good and man and the only reason I say that and it's probably because of you know just the way I look at this team and I don't think defense so i would probably put him at six just on the outside looking in and i would put vladdy into the top oh well, you're not
3: wrong from the 573 ferrario loves to hear himself talk he knows nothing about hockey Okay, I that's, that's, that's not what i'm saying at all
2: yeah, i spot on
0: I, for what it's worth i think there's a clear-cut top six like i that, that's oh, the, God, the yeah, only yeah. other guy if that i would have six i'd have vladdy there yeah i think vladdy would be the sixth guy and think about this if i told you coming into this season that your top six players on the Blues Would be Kyru, Huso, Falk Thomas, Buchnevich, and Tarasenko In some order
2: I think we all would have had some follow-up questions As to what exactly I would have went, happened Where the hell is Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron What yeah. would
0: you have guessed the Blues record to be What are we now, how many games into the season 40... Nine. Three, 40, 49. 49 So let's say 50 games Into the year What guess. would you have guessed their record was 50 games into the season If those were the top six players on the roster Cause I would have said pretty close to 500, maybe below say, 500 I because there 500. Were, I would have assumed injuries. I would have ah. assumed Bennington got hurt. I would have assumed O'Reilly got hurt. I would have probably assumed Pareko got hurt.
3: Yeah. But if Huso was up there, Huso was playing well. So I think he would have, uh, he didn't con- doesn't concern me as much. What would concern me is not seeing Ryan O'Reilly's name up there. I mean, Vladdy's name not on there. If, if that, if this was the list and you gave it to me, I'd be like, okay, well they, they survived the last couple of years without Vladdy. So that doesn't top surprise six, me. Though, oh, Vlade top six. Him, okay. Yeah. Ryan O'Reilly would be the biggest concern for me. But if Robert Thomas is on this list, he's obviously taking a step forward. I don't think they'd be where they're at right now, but I do think that they would be a little bit above 500. That's right. I I wouldn't have made that
2: assumption. I I would would, have been (laughs) like, (laughs) that's a 500 out of the playoff race. Yeah, I would have said that's a 500 team, and we're talking about them as maybe a team missing the playoffs. By the way, also,
0: we're going to continue this on the other side. Think about these names that are on the list and the decisions that over the last few years Doug Armstrong has made that led to these players being on the list. Jordan Kyrou decided not to trade him. Ville Husso kept him around despite at least I know for us Alex having some questions about Ville Husso as the backup goalie going into this year. Trading for Justin Falk. Keeping and believing in Robert Thomas to being this guy. Trading for Pavel Buchnevich. Refusing to trade Vladimir Tarasenko over the offseason. Doug Armstrong deserves a ton of credit for the team that we are watching on the ice right now. We're going to talk about specifically what he did this last off season and whether or not this can reach the pinnacle for for Doug Armstrong when we look back at it. This is this his best off season that we've seen from him yet? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Let's travel back in our time machine for a moment, Alex. Let's go back to last offseason when we were talking about, okay, who are the Blues going to sign? What are their decisions going to be? Because we knew you got a couple of spots in the top six that are open. And you need to find players on the open market that might be able to fill those top six roles. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, on branded Brandon it's BK, and Ferrario on a 101 ESPN in 15 minutes. Are the Blues ready? Or excuse me, are the Cardinals ready to go all in for a designated hitter? We'll talk the about Blues that. Blues too? Coming up here in about fifteen minutes she or so. but I Alex, there there were there there were some obvious candidates that could come here to St. Louis, and I know one of the guys that we talked a ton about was whether or not they could go out there and acquire Jack Eichel, nope. Matthew Kachuk? Top line guy Landeskog, Gabriel Landeskog from oh, the, the Colorado free Avalanche, and they decided not to go that route. And Randy Carricker was asking a question earlier today, and when I heard this, I, I couldn't unhear it just because I I listened to Alex scream at me all offseason about a couple of players that they could add. And when he asked this question earlier today to Chris Carver, I was like, Oh no 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 that's not true that's not true.
1: Listen to this. When we approached free agency and the the trade market last year. We were all talking about Landis Gog and we're talking about some other
3: big-time free agents. None of us were talking about trading for Pavel Buchnevich or signing
1: Brandon Saad. Those are the two guys the Blues wound up with. And I'm not so sure that with the salaries that those two are taking home... That the Blues and Doug Armstrong could have
3: done better than he did by getting those two. So I will say on the front end, he's
0: absolutely correct in what he said. Like, the the Blues did an amazing job. For $10 million, basically, they added two guys that have been perfect. They've been everything they needed them to be. Pavel Buchnevich is a legit top five player on this roster right now. Brandon Saad, when you look at what he does, I think he was put on this earth, Alex, to be right in front of the net and to put the puck in the back of the net whenever he's getting a uh, born a to play whatsoever. blues hockey. It was, it, he was the perfect addition, exactly what they needed in the offseason. He's a
3: perfect central division player. And look at the success he's had
0: with Chicago and Colorado. Absolutely. He he is perfect for what they needed him to be. I decided to go back. Cause I was curious, you know, how, how do their additions compare to the other guys that were out there on the market in that same kind of range in, in terms of the salary. So going from like, $3.5 million to $6.5 million. Those guys that were in the mid-tier forward free agent group, man, they they really couldn't have done any better than the two players that they ultimately acquired. You look at any of them, it's 18, 11, 14, 6, 7, 10, 4, 8, 9, 3, 1. Those were the goals that they've scored among these guys that were in that same category. Brandon sods at 16. You look at the ratings for all these guys. They're all right around zero to a plus three, maybe a minus three. Brandon Saad, plus four so far this year. You look at what Pavel Buchnevich has done. He's got more goals, more assists than any of the guys that were in that range of signings in the offseason. They were able to get him via trade for a second round pick and Sammy Blay. Alex, I'm going to give you your kudos Because I went back into the archives to find, okay, when did my guy Alex Ferrario start looking at Pavel Buchnevich as a realistic addition for the Blues? This comes from June
3: 16th, my man. My third one, I'm calling the New York Rangers, boys. And I'm giving them a call and I'm talking to them about a player named Pavel Buchnevich. Guy who plays on the right wing. He shoots left, so he can be a left winger for you. He, this past season, had 20 goals and 48 points in 54 games. He's 2016-21 in his last three years. The reason I'm calling the Rangers is because they're trying to transition into a team that can make a push. And Bucinavich is a great player. He is a great player.
0: My guy called him. him...
3: on june 16th we don't have that audio
0: and (laughs) said you can give him vladimir tarasenko great trade for both sides they didn't even have to go that far the reason why i wanted to bring all of this up man is because you look back to the offseason you add sod you add buchnevich two guys that are going to combine i think both this year probably for 25 plus goals for the blues at least 20 plus goals for the blues and you look at what they were able to do by keeping Vladimir Tarasenko, bringing Ville huso back into the fold, deciding to build around this current roster, you can make a pretty strong argument that if this team wins the cup this season, Alex, this might go down. Yes, even more so than the the offseason in which they acquired Ryan O'Reilly. When you take all consi- all things into consideration, this might be Doug Armstrong's best offseason of his
3: career here in St. Louis. This was This was impressive because what he did in 2018-2019, it was an obvious need. They needed an upgraded center, and they made the move to get Ryan O'Reilly, and the rest is history. They win the Stanley Cup. But this offseason was even more interesting to me because they had players in place that they thought were their core, and they had to— adjust on the fly from Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay who were supposed to be your next top nine wingers and they didn't pan out that way and you adjusted and you basically went out there and said okay we're gonna go find top six wingers who can score and do things for us you paid for Brandon Sod, which right now for what he's done you underpaid for Brandon Sod. oh by the way I think people forget the fact that he's 29 years old like you still have a lot of good years of Brandon Saad left and then you acquire Pavel Buchnevich for Sammy Blay in a second round draft pick that's why A lot of this resides on the cup because if you don't win the cup, it doesn't matter. But if they do accomplish the Stanley Cup or even get to the Stanley Cup final this year, I would argue that this is one of his best off seasons because you also didn't have to trade a first round draft pick for any of these guys.
0: And you didn't have to trade Vladimir Tarasenko, who right now is tied for the the team lead in both goals and and tied for the team lead in points so far this year.
3: Yeah. And I, I mean... It's impressive the way that he can maneuver and keep a Stanley Cup window open by making one trade, and that's what you did by acquiring Pavel Buchnevich and signing Brandon Saad. And I'm getting all the the, the cred here, but you deserve some of it because yeah. both of us... Come on, bring all the credit! Look, both of us here on BK and Ferrario, oh, I mean, we were driving that Brandon Saad trade for the moment free agency opened up because we saw him play against the Blues in, the, in, the, in that first round of the playoffs with the Avalanche. He was a pain in the ass to play against. Do you hear that? Parked himself it's in we'll, front we'll of the net. The back there. Okay, well, we're going to move past that now no we're not look we we've been we were chiming for that because he matched the identity of this blues team what we didn't know we were like ah eh, you gonna be a third third winger <laughs> for you no this dude's probably a top six winger for you. he's playing on your top line and he's doing everything power play penalty kill and he's scoring goals for you so it, it was a massive offseason by Doug Armstrong and that's why a, a lot of this will rely on them winning a Stanley Cup, but I would argue this is one of his best, if not his best offseason by what he did and keeping Vladdy. Tarasenko,
0: Buchnevich, and Saad so far this year have um, combined for 52 goals and 65 assists. We are My less God. than 50 games into the season, and those guys have accounted for 117 points. That's ridiculous. <laughs> those guys have been three of your top four point producers so far on this season. That's amazing. Like that—that That is an unbelievable ye- off season for for him to stand strong on the Vladimir Tarasenko situation and say to everybody around the league, I'm not going to trade him unless you give me what I believe Vladimir Tarasenko to be worth. And we all were like, are, are you sure? Like, Is that really the the way you want to play this hand? Because if this goes poorly, you might be stuck with Vladimir Tarasenko at $7.5 million next year. Guys, Vladimir Tarasenko at $7.5 million next year is a bargain. If he continues to produce like this, mm-hmm. you're talking about a point per game producer who's going to score 25 to 30 goals this year if he can if he's able to stay healthy. Everybody's going to want a guy like that going off of this offseason. Anybody that has any chance of being able to win a Stanley Cup next year, including the Blues, by the way, that can take on seven and a half million dollars for pure goal score and a guy that has now shown that he can also be one hell of a playmaker for those around him. In my opinion if they want to open up salary space this offseason to go out there and make another big move, maybe it is a Matthew could or whatever else it may end up being. They've got a huge chip to play right now in Vladimir Tarasenko. And that is a massive props to Doug Armstrong, because at the time I-, I couldn't believe that they were going to do this. I thought it was the just flat out wrong decision. And I couldn't have been more wrong about that. They absolutely played this right with Vladdy. And they deserve a ton of credit to going down this route with uh, Pavel Buchnevich and Brandon Sod in particular.
3: One other move that does need to be added into this offseason is letting Jaden Schwartz walk. Good point. How many people did we have texting us and saying, you guys are crazy if you think that they need to move on from Jaden Schwartz? And look, I love Jaden Schwartz. Schwartz has been a very impactful blues on this team. But you could just tell he wasn't that top six winger that the Blues needed to score goals because he was too streaky. They go get a Pavel Buchnevich to replace Jaden Schwartz and look at the outcome that you've received. That's an also big move by Doug Armstrong because most general managers would have probably re-signed Jaden Schwartz for what he's making in Seattle right now may not have been a bad thing because he's a very good defensive forward, but you're not getting the offensive production. You're not a top 10 offensive team in the National Hockey League without Pavel Buchnevich.
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer with what I believe to be maybe the most unbelievable story that came out of this year's Winter Olympics. We'll tell you what that was coming up at 1245. But next, are the Cardinals going to go all in for a DH? Do they need to go all in for a DH? We'll tell you that next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to dive into the junk drawer with what I believe to be an unbelievable story from the Winter Olympics that nobody apparently watched. We'll do that coming up in about 10 minutes. But Alex, I was listening to the best podcast in baseball, a St. Louis Post Dispatch podcast, over the weekend with Ben Fredrickson and Derek Gould. I thought they had a really interesting conversation about what the Blue, what the Cardinals rather should do with their designated hitter going into the year. And here's what Ben Fredrickson proposed about the Cardinals' ifs that they're trying to solve before the regular season begins,
3: point where something's got to change. Either the Cardinals have to eliminate some. Potential weak spots entering a season if they're going to be so steadfast with their plan during the season. Or they have to keep the same number of ifs entering a season but then be more nimble and, and proactive about addressing them during the year. It makes a lot of sense to say, hey, they've got some potential options for that yeah. DH spot. Start the season and see how a guy like Yepes does. And if you get toward the trade deadline and you're in the good spot, then you could upgrade that if he's struggling or if he's hit a slump. But, you know, how many times did we say that and then the Cardinals get toward that trade deadline and they're not in the spot that justifies them making that kind of move? It's such a good point.
0: And it's what we've been harping on for the last, what, four months now since the season came to an end for the Cardinals is, okay, I'm here for it. If you guys want to go down this path of we're going to see what the young guys can do. We want to find out if Lars Newtbar can be your left-handed designated hitter and your fourth outfielder going into the season. And we want to see what Juan Yepes can be as your designated hitter as potentially even an everyday solution in that spot. And maybe Brendan Donovan's going to be a bench bat for us. We got all these different young guys, and we're going to see what happens with shortstop between Paul DeYoung and Mundo Sosa. We'll kind of see how that shapes out over the first two to three months of the season. I'm fine with all of those as possibilities. Here's the thing. If you're going to go that route, you better be willing to make the move if it doesn't work. That's the difference. Either you have to make those moves in the offseason, which the Cardinals have not been willing to do in recent years. They It's kind of the pop-gun offense or the pop-gun offseason uh, where, okay, we make one big move, and then we retreat and say, okay, let's go into training or spring training now. That's what it's been for almost three years now, for the, every offseason for the Cardinals. If they're going to go that route, you can make it work because of the way that they develop players internally, but when it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, Alex, you have to be willing to go make those moves at the trade deadline, or as it was last season, earlier, if it if it's a necessity for you.
3: And that's what worries me, and that's why I would much rather them just make the move now and sign a player to be that position and figure out the positions with Juan Yuppez and Lars Nupar and Nolan Gorman and whatnot, because... The Cardinals have shown. Now, in the past, they've done it, but trade deadline, they don't do it. They won't make that big move to upgrade. And on top of it, everyone's going to be wanting a big bat at the trade deadline to fix the DH spot, to try and upgrade there. Everyone's going to want a Kyle Schwarber, depending on where he signs, or one of those other hitters, which means the the cost is going to go up. And what do the Cardinals not like to do? Trade prospects. So if you have this sitting in front of you where – Two of the best options at DH with Kyle Schwarber and with Nelson Cruz sitting in front of you. Why not just make the signing now? You know what? It's probably going to cost you a couple of extra years with Kyle Schwarber. Maybe that's your puke point. But then you got Nelson Cruz that you can take the step down from and just sign to the one-year deal and give him money. But you can give up money and not have to worry about the prospects rather than go to the trade deadline, know that you need to upgrade, where everyone else is going to be wanting to upgrade that spot, and then you're going to have to give up top prospects. You won't do it. You're stuck with what you have, and then you're looking at a first-round exit in the playoffs.
2: See, I don't really mind the idea of going in with the Yepes, the new bar. I mean, we had uh, Kylie McDaniel on. He said he could be a guy that could hit you two sixteen, and have like 20 home run potential. I mean, that's perfect, and it can save the save you some money for making a move at the deadline or heading into an offseason down the road. So I actually like the approach of going with young guys, but I, I agree with Benford. I mean, they have to act. I mean, they didn't act in June, and granted, I, there was some truth to what John Mosaic was saying of it was going to be costly. It was basically you're going to pay a top prospect for a number four I starter. I don't believe that
0: for the guys they ended up getting. I, I think you I could agree. have had Jay Happ. I think you could have had John Lester if you wanted to go out there and acquire those yeah, types those of players. those are easy moves. But I, I
2: think they were looking at maybe more of a step above those guys before Eventually they finally came to you just the conclusion. Got,
0: if I... If I tell you, Tanner, that your car breaks down today and you're looking to go out there and get a new Mercedes Benz, yeah, it, it's great in theory, but the eventually Benz? you're yeah. gonna if you're Ubering back and forth from here to work every day or from here to, to your house, your apartment every day, eventually you just want something that gets you from point A to point B. And if that means an old 1985 Ford Pinto, Nelson like, that's what you got to do, you know? So it, eventually you've just got to be able to get you through the season. And the Cardinals were unwilling to make that move. For their pitching, they waited too long. It almost came back to bite them. It did come back to bite them in, in terms of the division. It almost came back to bite them in terms of making it into the playoffs. They had to go on a borderline unprecedented run, even for them the in September, crime. to be able to get there. So that that's why when I look at this season with a designated hitter spot, I don't mind. I, I really don't. I don't have an issue with them leaning on the young guys. And somebody on the text line from the 636 said, Guys, remember seeing what the young guys could do last year. They decided to see what they had in Thomas and Williams and Dean, and none of them ended up panning out. Totally fair point. Tyler O'Neill did. Eventually they got the, the the correct answers, though, the good answers from Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, And you were able to see Mundo Sosa. He's a young guy that they, they found out, oh, he, he's a capable shortstop. Tommy Edmond. they placed him in there at second base. So, we can do this both ways. Where some of the young guys ended up working out, and it was a good thing that they gave them that opportunity, that extended look. Some of them didn't work out. Lane Thomas, not here anymore. Justin Williams, I, I'm guessing his time here as a long term Cardinal is soon going to be coming to an end. Austin Dean, I, I never really totally understood that I don't one, know, even but know where he's, at. he's a free agent. I, I don't think that he's going to be a, a long term answer here angels. either. Maybe you have a similar situation this year where maybe Juan Yepes does work out. And Lars Newtbar, he was a little bit of a flash in the pan. That's fine. Now you go find your next fourth outfielder and you go trade for that guy or you look at the other options that are down in AAA. Somebody's going to emerge the way that Lars Newtbar did a year ago. Maybe it's Alec Burleson. You're going to have options down there for you. But if those options, if you run through them all and it's mid-June and you find out, oh boy, we've got a problem here. We don't have a fourth outfielder on the roster. You got to go get one. And one thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking about this, Alex, is what the Braves did last year because they were not too prideful to admit a mistake. Adam Duvall last offseason went from the Braves to the Miami Marlins. They signed him in the offseason. You know what the Braves did at the trade deadline? Said, you know what we're missing right now in our outfield? Adam, Adam Duvall. Duvall. And they went out there and they paid a cost in in assets to be able to reacquire the player that they let walk in the offseason. They admitted they were wrong. If you're the Cardinals and you're this front office and you get to mid season or closer to the trade deadline, be willing to admit you were wrong on something. That is not admitting defeat. It's giving yourself a chance to correct something that went wrong
3: earlier in the offseason. Are you talking about trading for Randy or Rosarena?
0: No, but just in general, like if they end up being wrong at, about the designated hitter spot, and maybe a guy like, for example, Nelson Cruz becomes available, he signed with a team that doesn't need him down the stretch because they're not going to be com- contending for the postseason.
3: Go get him. See, that's my problem though, because teams know then that that's your that's your area of need. They know it's kind of the blues and defenseman spot. You, they know you're desperate for something, and you have to upgrade in that area. And they're going to want the top guys, and the Cardinals aren't going to move on from the top guys. So that's why it's like, if I know that that's a need now, I I just as much as I want to give Juan Yipes the opportunity, and as much as I want to give you know these guys that look like they're ready for that spot the opportunity, I'm going to make sure that I'm I'm covering all of my bases, pun intended by just signing the guy that can do that for me. And then guess what? Juan Yepes, you're still going to be a vital piece of this team because injuries happen in the season. We're going to need bench bats. We're going to need days off. You're still going to be here, but I'm going to make sure that I'm not playing with any ifs if I want to win the World Series this year.
2: But but to my point, with the trade deadline, though, the way I look at it too is, I mean, you you look at what the Braves did. The first move they made was they went and got Jack Peterson. I, I don't think if if they try the Juan Yepes lars newport route and it doesn't work... You don't necessarily need that impact bat to come at the DH spot. You just need someone that's going to fill and fill it effectively. Jack Peterson was hitting 230 when the Braves went out and acquired. He was, he was the first guy that was going to fill in that Ronald Acuna gap that they were missing. And then, of course, they added on at the deadline. So they went in, they just said, okay, we need to keep adding outfielders and we'll find out what we have there. Maybe that's the approach for the Cardinals, not adding four different DH guys if it fails this season at the deadline, but go get one that can be a decent, you know, just fill in stop gap guy for you. Then maybe at the deadline you look for his platoon option or maybe one of those guys comes back from Memphis and actually has kind of took that mental reset and figured it out. I, I don't have an issue if you're going to head into this season with those guys at DH, long as you act appropriately when when if, if they struggle that you go out there and make a move and it doesn't even have to be the impact bat because that is where you're going to get into that asking price go find that guy that you can say you know what? we think he has potential here in st louis we can go get him for one of our low top 30 prospects or not even a prospect the guy that the braves gave up i was just trying to find this i don't even think he was a top 30 prospect in yeah, this basically
0: their version of ollie sanchez like yeah. what, what they gave up in return for adam duvall last year i was looking up the same thing tanner they gave up Alex Jackson, a catcher who is 25 years old at the time that they traded him. He was splitting time between the minors and the big leagues. He's not a prospect whatsoever. He's basically the, what the Cardinals have in Ollie Sanchez right now is their third catcher. That's who the Braves gave up to be able to reacquire at the deadline. Adam Duvall. That's what you're looking at. If you're going into the trade deadline this year and you need somebody that just not a superstar, but a capable hitter to fill that spot as a as a D.H., You can go get that guy. He's always available. Every year there's somebody that can go out there and they project to be a 20 to 25 home run hitter. And they'll hit like 240 for you with a pretty low on base percentage, like a power bat. Those guys are a dime a dozen. You can find them anywhere. Guys that are corner infielders, corner outfielder, DH types. Those guys are always available. So if they want to go out there and get them, they can. But the same thing is true about back end starters. This is where it gets tough is. Last year they should have been able to get Jay Happ or John Lester earlier, and they decided not to do so. This year they can't make that same they can't make that same mistake if they're gonna go down this route. And it certainly sounds like based on all reports they're going to. I did want to add this last piece of information in here, guys. Over on Fan Graphs, Dan Zamborski, who puts together the zips projections for them that we talk a lot about, he put out some projections on possible contracts that could be given out once the lockout is over. There were three in particular that stood out to me because they're they're players that we've talked about in the past and potential connection with the Cardinals. Said Kyle Schwarber, he's projecting for a four-year $80 million contract. He's got Chris Bryant signing a four-year $90 million deal. And he's projecting Trevor Story, similar to what we saw at the beginning of the offseason, to get a five-year $130 million contract. I don't think the Cardinals are going to be playing in those waters. No. I just can't see them going that many years, that high in terms of the average annual value on the salary. I don't think you're going to see them signing anybody approaching those kinds of deals. I think if they're going to sign a player for this spot, it'll be somebody making five to $10 million.
3: Uh, Colin Moran's the one that continues to come back for me. That's the guy that you can put in this spot, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Trevor story. I think we all kind of figured that one was out um, unless it was a one year deal. And Kyle Schwarber's the tough one. I mean, I don't think he's going to be signing for like, you know, $28, $30 million, dollars. I think he's going to be getting fifty or more after his season. But if it's eighty million dollars for four years, yeah, you're out on that one. I
0: think you're probably looking at fifteen to twenty million dollars on a three to four year deal. Yeah, and I think you got,
3: I think you got a Kyle Schwarber and Tyler O'Neill, so you don't need a better Kyle Schwarber and Tyler O'Neill, so you don't need to go in those waters.
2: I'd love to have him if he's taking a one year contract. Yeah, and this one's left handed. Even if a two
3: year contract,
2: two if years, you could fifteen million per
3: one year, twenty million dollars. I would sign oh, that. One hundred percent, I would sign that.
0: It's more than he's probably going to get on a per-year basis on a multi-year deal. What about two years, 15 mil? Each year, so two Mm -hmm. years, $30 million. I mean, I would sign it. I don't think the Cardinals would, but I would be willing to do that.
2: I think the Cardinals only do it if it's the one year, Mm -hmm. and that's the only way I would see them bringing in someone like a Kyle Schwarber. Coming up in 15 minutes,
0: this does not sound like the type of player that the card, Cardinals, excuse me, I'm doing it in the, in the in the reverse now, that the Blues mm-hmm. would be looking to acquire at the trade deadline this year. But he's one of the top guys that's available. We'll talk about him coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer with a guy who, man, I would never want to have this happen to me. We'll tell you about it next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers On 101 ESPN Let's open it up The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario
0: Alex, last night was the finale, the closing ceremonies from the Winter Olympics. They basically came and went. Nobody really watched it. I wasn't
3: watching them, so that's what you're
0: wondering. They are officially over. And before they came to an end over the weekend, I think we got the biggest story of the Olympics that took place over this weekend. So the men's 50 kilometer mass start race in the Beijing Olympics it was scheduled to start. I believe this was on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. It was so cold, so bitterly cold, with horrible wind gusts that they shortened it from 50K to 30K because they were like, we cannot have these guys out there that long. It's 20K just,
3: will ruin it.
0: it it's going to be ridiculous. So, this gentleman from Finland, his name is Remy Lindholm. Great, great job, man. He... Spent about an hour and 15 minutes on the course. Terrible cold. Lots of wind. You know the outfits they're wearing. There's not a whole lot of coverage that's taking place underneath. Very thin. Very thin. I'm going to read from the story from Reuters. Quote, Lindum spent just under an hour and 15 minutes traversing the course in howling freezing winds leading to his penis becoming frozen for the second time in a cross-country skiing race following a similar incident that took place in Finland last year.
3: Now that's a champion. That is two frozen penises in two years. I think we've learned something. His quote to the Finnish media, you can guess which body part was a little bit frozen
0: when I finished the race. It was one of the worst competitions I've ever been involved in. It was just about battling through it. Said when the body part started to warm up after the finish, the pain was quote unbearable. What? He had to use a heat pack to thaw uh-huh. out his frozen penis after the fifty k race came to an end in China. would you do like Nah, man. When the first time happens, when you when you fr- freeze your penis the first time around, that's what I'm calling it quits. Wouldn't you I'm put out on hand this.
3: warmers in there before you like got started? I to keep that area warm you if you were concerned. So. I can't imagine Like wouldn't you wear a jock strap So you could put the hand warmers in the jock strap I know you gotta be like aerodynamic When you're doing that so you can go faster I am curious what qualifies as frozen
0: Like how did they determine This was a
3: Frozen I'm I'm assuming it was a large icicle Or small icicle I guess we're not sure (laughs) It was an icicle (laughs) (laughs) Clearly I oh boy
0: it's happened do you think twice.
3: That was, do you think that was like in a
0: two year stretch.
3: Do you think that's why he it was such a, a tough race for him? Because it like weighed him down because it was an icicle. I, I don't, it was like not getting the speed that he's used to. I mean,
0: this I had to slower be slower today.
3: That had to be Can't put
0: my finger my on penis it. is frozen. That's why I'm slower here. <laughs> the only thing I have in my own personal life that uh, no. You want to finish finished that statement? <laughs> hey, no, 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 no. Let's
3: finish this statement. What have you done with your life so, that compares to a frozen penis? When I
0: ran my marathon, this is a couple of years now. Frozen nipple? No, no. It was pouring down rain at the beginning of the race, and it was really, really cold what, outside. It was like 30 degree, 40 degrees probably. I think it was in April, if I'm not mistaken. So it was real cold. It was pouring rain at the beginning of the race and I got about 22 miles in and my quads just like gave out on me completely I could not run any longer they wouldn't fire so the next four and a half miles I did like a power walk to the end of the race Oh, the mall walk that was the worst most excruciating pain that I think I have ever been in in my entire life that does not compare to this this had to have been so much worse
3: I don't put myself in these situations so I'm not as concerned about it of having to go possibly like do you think that's the warning like hey body parts might get frozen i'm just trying and to- how does that freeze and not the face that's exposed i don't know man i don't know how,
0: how does I, your I don't penis understand. freeze
3: and not your nose that's my follow-up
0: question i don't understand any of it i've got a lot of follow-up sure. questions that i would love to ask him
2: i'm sure a lot of body parts were somewhat frozen that day
0: yeah there's just one that stands out yeah like his toes probably didn't feel great at the very end. <clears throat> I would imagine his fingers weren't great. No, yeah, all of his appendages were probably frozen at the all end. All of, the of end. his appendages, yeah. yeah,
3: not not ideal. Man, I, could you imagine like having to like bust out a uh, uh, a hair blower, hair dryer to defrost? well oh, he said it was a heat pack. So they they used a heat like pack. Like an icy for it. hot? Yeah. No, like a. Uh, I don't think you want to put an icy hot on something that's already hot. On ice. The hot part of but it. you got to get to the icy part first. Oh
2: yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh.
3: Just <laughs> brutal. Hey, Rem, Absolutely we're going to give you brutal.
0: an
2: icy hot patch to get this thing taken care of. Mm. And how do you how do you report how do you report that to like a like you skate by? Hey, and- coach, coach, got an issue here, My boy. penis is frozen. I can't
0: go down the the links today. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of <laughs> we'll game. out. out. <laughs> <laughs> Six, seven, he, he was went. out, by the way. <laughs> the air comfort service text line. But next. I saw a breakdown of Jacob Chickering yesterday, Alex. I could not be more out on this guy as the big time acquisition for the car for the blues. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: I know it'll cost more, and you'll have to, you know, give up a player, a prospect, and a first-round pick to get him. That seems to be what the, uh, the conversation revolves around. If
2: I'm Doug Armstrong and I have a shot at getting Jacob Chikrin, like, look, man, I'm all in on this season.
0: That's what it sounded like on Saturday during the pregame show as Alex Ferrario was able to catch up with Jeff Merrick of Hockey Night up in Canada. It was good to hear that conversation. That's what he had to say about the possibility of the Blues acquiring Jacob Chikrin at the deadline. Alex, I'm out. I'm completely out on Jacob Chikrin as the best possible scenario for the Blues. And it was in part because of this quote that I read from an NHL executive. This came from The Athletic as they were breaking down their top trade chips At the deadline, an executive said, quote, I'm not a big fan of Chikrin. For someone of his size, he plays a little bit small in my mind. He's a good player. He'll get his points, but he hasn't been good in his own end this season. I can see him being moved, but definitely not to our team. Again, that came from the Athletic. They were able to talk with one of the NHL executives that's potentially making a move towards the deadline. That was their thoughts on Jacob Chikrin. I don't think Chikrin fits. This goes back to the conversation that we had last off season about the possibilities of who the blues were going to acquire via free agency that would fit their top six. They went out there and they got the guy that fit exactly what they needed. Doug Armstrong. Isn't just looking to upgrade. He's looking for the right guy. That's the right fit right now for this team. It's a specific situation. So as we're looking at all these trade boards and the, the big boards, as we get to the closer to the deadline, Alex, it's great that chicken's the top available guy at the deadline, I'm not sure that he would be at the top of my board. I would rather have Mark Giordano. If we're talking about a first-round pick going in return for Chikrin, and I know there's going to be more there, or a first-round pick going to Giordano, I would rather have Giordano. And that is taking into account the fact that he's a free agent going after this year. And if you can tell me that I could get another guy, I don't know who this player is. That's a left-handed defenseman, or can at least play the left side. That is a stay-at-home defenseman, has some size, and plays well defensively, that's
3: the guy that I want. You just described Zidane O'Chara also. But I need a guy that's a little better. Other than the fact that he's 44 years old. Yeah. Originally, I'm like, get Jacob Chikrin, because the guy makes sense. He's like 23 years old. He plays the left side. I mean, he's locked up on a team-friendly deal. You got him for the future. And you know what? I think if you got Jacob Chikrin next year and the year after, I think you might start building something. But by the time he's a free agent and you can't afford him, you're probably hitting his best stride. But you want to win a cup now. This window's open now. Jacob Chikrin's not that guy for you. I think he's still a very good defenseman, but the description from the executive is why I'm out on this. Because all he said was, he gets his points. I don't need a guy who gets points. I got Krug. I got Falk. I got Pareko. I got Mikola. They get points. I need a guy who doesn't get points, who's more worried about the other team not getting points.
0: Somebody on the text line said, what if it costs you Perunovic, Sonny, and a first? Would you rather do that for Chikrin than a first-round pick for Sherratt or Giordano, both of whom are going to be free agents at the end of the year? Chikrin is cheap and sign- and is very young.
3: M- my answer is no. Get Giordano because I can also—people uh, are underestimating the effect that it would be if you trade away an Oscar Sundquist in the middle of the season. See, and it, like, that's, that's not what's holding me up with this for, for Chikrin. I'm
0: trying to win a cup right now. And if you didn't have Tory like if Tory Krug was hurt and you didn't have that guy in your lineup or you didn't have Justin Falk and you needed somebody that could be a point producer to your point, Alex. OK, yeah, we can talk about this with Jacob Chikrin. Maybe he then would make a lot more sense for this team. That's not the rule that I'm looking to fill. If I'm looking for a top six forward that's going to put the puck in the back of the net. A guy that would replace what Vladimir Tarasenko had been giving you if they decided before the season to trade Vladdy. Well, I'm not going to go out there and look for a guy like Ivan Barbashev. I'm not going to go out there and look for a guy like Oscar Sunquist. I'm going to be looking for somebody that plays more similarly to what you're seeing right now from Saad or Kairou or Tarasenko. That's what we're running into right now on the back end, on the blue line. They need somebody that can just be a damn good defenseman. That when I send them out there against the top line from the Avs or the top line from Vegas or the top line from Calgary, they're going to do well against those guys. I don't know if I trust Jacob Chickren in those situations. Everything that I've read from any national or local analyst down in Arizona seems to suggest that he's fine defensively. But really, you're acquiring him because of what he does offensively as a defenseman. That's just not what I'm looking for right now. Not for this team. Not in this current situation.
3: Yeah, and someone that maybe getting out of a losing culture in Arizona, you'd get a better player something to play for rather than continuing to lose look that doesn't matter for me because i don't need the guy to get out of a losing culture and figure out his game i need a guy to come in and play well and that's why i would seriously consider mark giordano because mark giordano has been a captain he's been on plenty of winning teams he went from a winning team to a losing team you don't think that guy's hungry for a stanley cup before he retires I I would be probably checking in on everything that I could to get a Mark Giordano and figure out how it would work with his cash. Ben Chirot was a part of a winning team last year, but I also don't know if Ben Chirot matches this team's identity in the Central Division when you have to match up against Colorado because he takes a lot of penalties. And I don't know if I need that on a team going in a seven-game series against the Colorado Avalanche or or whomever I'm going to play. That's why I would take that next step down. If it's not Giordano, I'm looking at players that— aren't going to cost you that much, but can still help you. And this goes back to the Mikula conversation that we had earlier, but I'm checking in on the Zdeno Chara. I'm checking in on Scott Mayfield. I'm checking in on Ryan Graves, Justin Braun, who you've brought up. Those are the guys I'm contacting to find out, okay, maybe it's a second round draft pick we got to give up. Maybe it's a lesser tier prospect that we got to give up to give us that edge over the opposition. But this guy is a upgrade over what we have right now. To me, Mark Giordano and then I'm going to the next level because I'm done with the Jacob Chikrin and I'm just not in on Ben Sherratt, especially if it's going to cost you an asset like that. I think sometimes we lose sight of what
0: exactly it means when we're talking about the first round picks, by the way, because we we say the first round pick and it's it's abstract. It's this idea as opposed to putting a name or a face with it. So here are the Blues first round picks over the last decade. This is what you would potentially be giving up in any sort of a deal. A for Jacob Chikrin, that's the starting point. And then you also add in probably Scott Perunovic and potentially another player as well. In, in addition to that pick, but for any of these top defensemen, we're talking about Giordano. If you're looking at Claude Giroux, might have to go in, in, in that type of a trade as well. Uh, ben Sherratt, it's been discussed as is likely going to take a first round pick. Any of these guys, that's what you're giving up. The blues first round picks over the last decade. Jordan Schmaltz, Robbie Fabry, Tage Thompson, Robert Thomas, Clem Coston, Dominic Bach, Jake Neighbors, Zachary Bulduk. Those are your guys in the last decade that you've drafted. When you actually put a name and a face with it, how many of those guys would you not trade for a really good defenseman for the next three months? Because I would trade Schmaltz, I would have traded probably Fabry, Tage Thompson, Clem Coston, Bach. We'll see on neighbors. We'll see on Balduke. I I don't know that you can give an honest assessment of them because we don't really have a whole lot of evidence. The only guy I wouldn't trade is Robert Thomas. So more often than not, you end up coming out ahead if you end up going on a run in the postseason. So that's kind of why I'm I'm leaning towards, okay, I I trust in Doug Armstrong, whoever he believes to be the best defenseman for what this team needs, trade that first-round pick and go ahead and acquire that guy to fix your left-handed side
3: situation and understand when you're trading a draft pick this first round draft pick unless you're drafting in the top five he's not going to be a part of this team for at least five years like Zachary Bolduc won't be here for at least five years Tage Thompson was here so quickly because they were desperate for centerman Robbie Fabry was here because they needed offense guys that drafted in the time that you draft them when you need help those are the ones that play but you're not playing Jake neighbors because you're deep with a roster and you're not playing a Zachary Bolduke because you're deep with a roster. And also remember the position that you're drafting in, because if you make it to, let's say you make it past the first round. Yeah. Most of these guys were drafted 20, 20. to 30. Bolduke was the earliest one mm-hmm. out of a majority 16, of these 17. guys. Yeah. So first round draft picks, in my opinion, They're great to have if you're a bad team, but if you're a good team trying to win the cup, you don't need them. And that's why if I could get a Mark Giordano for a first round draft pick and then I got to throw in a second or third round pick because that's what they're saying. It's going to cost a first and a third to get Mark Giordano and then kind of have the conversation of Seattle's going to be willing to eat contract, which I think I heard or read something that they were willing to eat some of his contract. I'm making that deal because those picks they're they're not as important to me as getting somebody like a Mark Giordano to help this team win a Stanley Cup.
2: And the other thing for me too is I mean look at your history of drafting in the second third round. You've had a pretty good history really good. of it and you some may say well that but was Bill Armstrong. Bill Armstrong. Yeah, but, that's the difference. But I would like to th- I would believe that there's still some of that here in St. Yeah. Louis with Doug Armstrong because he was a part of the drafting process too. So I would think, you know, you look at your history of second-round picks. I mean, Jordan Cairo was a second-round pick, and we're talking about him being one of the top five best players on the Blues this mm-hmm. season. So looking at your history of second, third-round picks, even later than that, it makes it even more comfortable for me to say, okay, you can part with the first-round pick, especially if it's in those later rounds. And of all those names you mentioned, the only one I wouldn't trade, again, Neighbors, Bulldog is early. Thomas is the only one I would not have moved on the from. The tough
3: part this year, too, is you give up your first, you, ha- you don't have a first and second. And I just don't know if that's something Doug Armstrong wants. I'd be fine with it. My real hesitation is
0: I think Doug Armstrong needs to figure out what the situation is going to be this offseason, like now with Matthew Kachuk. I think he needs to be calling Calgary to figure out okay, what what is that situation looking like today? Because if they are potentially going to trade him this offseason, you're going to need that first round pick. To be able to be included in, in that kind of a deal, and I know you've said Alex in the past, like if you're going to get Kachuk, it's, it's very likely that you would get him via free agency,
3: especially the success of Calgary right now. Because in Calgary's mind, if they figure they want to lock up Johnny Gaudreau, they're going to say let's run it back one more year and go it's all be in into sign all those guys. Though. Well, that's what I'm saying. They've if they look issue. at it, if they look at it and say, well, we want to keep Johnny Gaudreau, and then we'll address Matthew Kachuk after his RFA season, they'll say let's run it back one more year. And then after that, let Matthew. But Kuchuk I'm saying walk.
0: I don't know that they can bring back both Goudreau and also Kachuk on a potential ten million dollar contract this offseason via free via RFA, like especially because they got Tyler Toffoli. Right. It's it's a one year contract. Yes, I get that. But it's a huge value. the The salary for Kachuk is going to be always, very large this year.
3: Can always find a way to. Work the system with the salary cap too, but I understand what you're saying. I, I don't know that you can with. with I, if with I'm those Doug Armstrong, I, I just I'm not planning for Matthew Kachuk. Uh, I'm I'm looking at that as as the free agency, and if something comes around in the offseason, then I'll check into it. Because if I have a gut feeling that he wants to be in St. Louis and is going to be a free agent, I'm going to play my cards and see if he gets to that point.
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, the biggest story in college basketball right now, I think we're all overreacting to it a little bit. We'll talk about that coming up at 1.30. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line in or out here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario.
0: Hey, 101 ESPN has your chance to win a pair of passes to a session of your choice for the 2022 State Farm Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. That's right. Arch Madness coming your way at Enterprise Center next Thursday through this uh, March Sunday, March the 6th. March Madness begins here with the 32nd annual MVC tournament. Find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Arch Madness now, either at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 ESPN mobile. App. with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up next. We've overreacted to this story in college basketball. It's creating a bunch of headlines. People are saying this guy should be fired. Uh, I don't agree with any of that. We'll get into it coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's get into in or out 65780 is the air comfort service text line. If you have a scenario for us to be in or out on let's start out with this one from the 636 in or out. There should be a Ferrario five of Tanner and BK's annoying habits. That's <laughs>
2: easy out. You couldn't come up with
3: five. I'm in on that. I'd come up with five in a heartbeat. No problem.
0: Unbelievable. I don't think there would be any of Tanner on that. Oh, no, there would be. There'd, uh, be, there'd be some. I know Tanner.
2: one that would definitely be on there, and that would be the T Bone 3.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that one gets to him. That one for sure gets to him. Yeah. Uh, 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 636. Do we
3: got one a Ferrari 5 on that? I think we're good. Okay. We'll see next week.
0: <laughs> the Sabres GM must consume several adult beverages before they play the Blues on Friday. I think
2: it's a different GM. Then, no, I'm out. It, Check at him. Uh, no, Kevin. Jack Kevin. Adams. No, Jack, Jack Adams, Adams is the
3: <laughs> award. I, I, is close. How long has Kevin Adams been with them? Because I thought he just took over. I thought it was a different GM that they had in Buffalo. Maybe I'm, I'm mis- mistaken on that. 2020 to present. So yeah, it's a different. So Jason yeah, Botterill was the GM for the Buffalo Sabres when he made that awful trade well, I'll be to St. Louis. But I mean, you're Kevin Adams. You're the GM of the Buffalo Sabres. So yeah, I'd probably say I'm in on this. I mean, we got great beer here in St. Louis, too.
0: So can you imagine having to go up against Ryan O'Reilly in a game? Oh, they had to do it already. I I know. But just in general, every time that you have to play against the Blues, that has to be brutal.
3: Here's what I'm looking forward to tage thompson against st louis because tage is tage is playing well this season like people say oh they gave up tage thompson yeah tage thompson wasn't going to be much here in st louis but you put him on a bad team he's going to be good he's got 18 goals i think on the season he just scored a hat trick 20 that's what i'm looking forward to because you know he's gonna have a little bit of oh yeah you traded me it reminds me of a
0: quote from one of the best college basketball coaches i've ever seen Kim Anderson,
3: who when I was you covering was the Mizzou- Thompson to Kim Anderson, <laughs> no, it's, uh,
2: it's not at all where I thought comparing
3: Tage Thompson to some of the players that played under Kim
0: so,
2: Anderson.
3: So who's 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 the Kim Anderson coming out of the grave then? So there, I don't know who's Buffalo's coach
0: right now.
2: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> when Kim Anderson was the coach at Mizzou, I, I will never forget this. We asked him one time about I don't even remember who the player was, but uh, there was some guy on the team that it was a surprise. He's scoring like 20 points a night. And we asked, like, hey, did you see this coming for, for so-and-so? And Kim's, Kim's response, well, somebody's got to score.
3: Oh my God, <laughs> you nailed Kim Anderson's voice, too. Well, somebody's got
0: to score. It was amazing. It was like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be out there playing as you're watching right now for Tate Thompson, 18 minutes a night. Somebody's got to score the
3: goals for him. <laughs> someone someone videotaped Jason Robertson, the, the young player for the Dallas Stars in the locker room, and they they asked him, they said, you know, what do you got to do, carry over from last night's win to this next game? And he said, well, said, probably need to find a way to score more goals in the opposition. It seemed to work really well last night. Love that answer. It's, it's called sarcasm, T-Bone, and it works. 65780 oh, is the Air Comfort Service X-Line from the 980-980.
0: My my lip is still giving me some troubles. No, your lip sounds
3: great today, buddy.
0: In or out, the Blues front office will regret giving Jordan Bennington the contract after only seeing him for a year and a half.
3: I'm out on this. I I think there's still plenty of time for Jordan Bennington to to get himself right. I just think right now you're looking at a scenario where it, it actually might benefit Jordan Bennington this season to see that his game has dropped off. To see as somebody else take the job from him and it might be more of a motivation next season to be like no i'm gonna be better than this one so i'm out on this you got six years the guy's 28 years old it's not like he's 34 past his prime let's pump the brakes on jordan bennington so yeah i'm, I'm definitely out on this
2: yeah i'm out on this too it's just too soon to know whether or not this contract's gonna be one of those that you look at and go yeah this was a failure i i just I think he'll bounce back. I think this is just one of those years where, for some reason, he couldn't get it right, and then Huso's taking the ship, so he hasn't been able to get more opportunities in net because the Blues are riding Ville Huso. I I think he'll ultimately be fine. So I'm out on this.
0: I'm out on it as well. I'm I'm not totally done with Jordan Bennington. I still think there's a chance that he can be a really good goalie for the Blues. Uh, Honestly, even by the end of this year. It's totally in play. He's Go-
3: going to have an impactful game at some point for you.
0: yeah, you're gonna need Jordan Bennington to play the role that Jake Allen played for you when Jordan Bennington took over. Yeah. He's just got to be willing to accept that role at least for for the foreseeable future. Six five seven eight oh is Air comfort service tax line, guys. it looks like it it's kind of unclear based on some of the reporting that's being done. but at a minimum, the major league baseball owners and the Players association deal no. They met for an almost an hour and a half today. They are either taking a break or they are done. Nobody seems to know. Um, but Probably it's possible they're going to be coming back for a part two of the negotiations between the players and the owners.
3: Part two means you agree
0: to something in part one. Uh, or they're just bargaining. In or oh out, we will have by March 1st an agreement between the players
3: and the owners. Oh, and... March 1st. Yeah, they know the deadline to the 28th. I think now is what's deadline spur action now is knowing that we have to come to some type of common ground here. And I just think it's building block. I think by Saturday or Sunday, we're going to have a report that a deal's been done. And then I think by March 1st, we're talking about guys getting set to report to spring training.
2: I think I'm gonna go out for now. Good lord. <laughs> until man. I see what, what do you need to see? Until I actually see progress in the reporting on the, the They met the, for an hour and ten minutes. They could not do anything about the negotiations in that meeting no you think now. they're having casualties? Probably. They're probably worked out their golf game for the next couple weeks in Florida. Hey, we got a lockout, we can't go to the field, how about we play golf? Until I start seeing reports that they're kind of starting to compromise on things in terms of the uh, core economic issues, then I'll have more positivity. But for now, I'll sit on the out and say no. I'm
0: in. Cost nothing to be optimistic. I'm I'm optimistic right now about the fact that they're going to be able to get some kind of a deal done. So I'm going to say I am in on this. Try it, T-Bone. In or out, LeBron James will play elsewhere
3: by the end of his career. He will not be a Laker for the remainder of his career. In. Especially with his comments yesterday saying that wherever his son's going to play, that's where he's playing, and that's his final season. No
2: pressure. Where,
3: where's his son at in terms of...
2: Sophomore, is he? So Sophomore he's got at least
3: two more years. I think he's got two more years of high school. And I don't know. He's in a class of 2023, so he'll be a senior next year, so he's a junior right now. So he got one more year, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be a top five pick. Um, I don't think he is. You
0: don't he, think so?
2: His projections have not...
3: Have they dropped? He's a four-star player, so yeah. he's He's
0: considered to be a good player, but he's top 50 nationally. He's okay. not like a top five player in his class, but he's, he's
3: really good. Uh, maybe he lands with the Lakers, but I'm, I'm going to go with, you know, numbers in this circumstance and say he's going to be playing elsewhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm out that he's going to end his career as a Laker.
2: Yeah, I'm out on it too. His comments were basically, there was a good article on ESPN basically saying, Hey, he's done this before. He did this with the Cavaliers. I think it was sixteen, seventeen. 17. He's going to say, hey, you got to go all in or I'm going to leave. And it didn't help Cleveland. But uh, the Lakers, I mean, they're just in a bad spot right now. And Rob Palenka was put in a tough spot where, oh, yeah, go acquire John Wall in a first-round pick. Yeah, let's go get a guy that has, like, the worst contract in basketball. I I think he'll leave plenty of them already. I I, I think he's going to leave. I think he's going to go back to Cleveland. I don't even know if Bronny's going to be in the NBA. I I think that was putting more pressure on teams to go and potentially go, Oh, Hey, we got a second round pick. Yeah. Let's go take Bronny James because I just don't know if his ceiling is going to reach him to, uh, to the NBA. It could, but I, I just can't sit here today and say, yeah, right now he's like one of the elite talents. Yeah. He's just not. He, he's not there yet. So
3: Yeah, that's true. Someone
2: made a good point. Teams
3: are going to draft his son just so they can get LeBron. But do you really want to draft I mean, he's him? He's going to be like
2: waste 40 years old. Yeah, waste he's a pick and get a 40-year-old LeBron if you're going to cut gonna be Bronny good. in
3: a year. He's the, the Lakers' best player right now. Yeah, that's but true. that's not saying
2: much. Look at that team. What are you talking
3: about? They got Anthony Davis and Russell Her Westbrook. this year. Stinks. They got Alex Caruso. No, they don't. No, they don't. He's, he's playing really
0: well for the Bulls actually. I don't know why Bulls they let are that guy team. go. Um, I'm going to say I am in on this as well I do think he'll play elsewhere I think he goes to Cleveland again I think there's a good chance of it That feels like the final chapter, right? You go elsewhere, and then you come back to Cleveland You go elsewhere again, and then you finish out with Cleveland It, it makes a lot of sense for him and to do so got a so. lot
2: of young talent on that team
0: He's got a real chance to be able to compete there one final time at the end of his career so it, i'm gonna say i'm in as well i do think he's gonna finish his career elsewhere he's got one more year on his deal with the lakers if he wanted to get out on that though we all know how this works he could force his way out just like we just saw with james harden Gets and as that. we he could he could talk to, to james harden
2: james harden's a pro at it we're you wear go. a fat suit
0: along with alex ferrario and tanner and i'm brandon Kylie. we'll get to the bk and ferrario rewind i think my convincing actually made Alex change up his top five players for the blues so far this season. So he's going to give you his revised list of the five best blues players this season in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, the biggest story in college basketball right now is one that I think we're overreacting to just a little bit. We'll explain why coming
1: up here on one Oh one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN.
0: the story by now Jawan Hi- howard tried to punch an assistant coach from wisconsin ended up giving like a open hand five to the face hey high five to them. the wisconsin assistant the other guy just missed wasn't a good moment wasn't a good moment at all you can't do that good point if you're a head coach at the university of michigan and with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley what led to the incident alex is over the weekend Wisconsin's up by 15 points. There's about 15 seconds left. The Badgers decided to call a timeout and Jawan Howard said, I didn't like that timeout. They called if I'm totally being honest with you. I thought it was unnecessary in the moment, especially with them having such a large lead. I thought that wasn't fair to our guys. So that's ultimately what happened. So He ends up, as they're in the handshake lines, getting into it with Greg Gard, the head coach over at Wisconsin, and they're having words going back and forth, and Gard kind of grabs on his arm. It wasn't anything that was super, it was like an intimidation or anything like that, but Jawan Howard took exception to it, which I guess is understandable, and things escalate from there. And Jawan Howard ends up, it's not a punch, and people that are saying that it was a punch, he didn't punch the guy. it was an open hand. he, He slapped him across the face. Again, you
3: can't do it. It's uncalled for, and he should be suspended. And he didn't hit the guy that initially. Greg initial, Gardner, no. It was no. It was another coach that, that jumped in and got into his face. Correct. So he ended
0: up hitting an assistant coach from Wisconsin. And as a result, Juwan Howard should be suspended for three games. I think that is a totally fair punishment for this situation. He's got to come out. He's got to make a statement as to why he was wrong. All of that stuff. The typical things that you would expect to see. Alex, people suggesting that Jawan Howard should be fired, though, is laughable to me, man. I I know that we should and do hold coaches to a higher standard than players. I agree with that. I think that that that, that should be the case. But if this was Mark Few at Gonzaga, who, by the way, was suspended one game this year for a DUI,
3: if this was... (laughs) He got suspended one game for a DUI? If this was
0: Bill Self at Kansas, who has not been suspended for allegedly paying players under the table and had an assistant coach that was clearly involved with the FBI investigation. If this was Coach K at Duke, who has also been tied in some ways to the investigation by the FBI with players getting paid pay for play, basically in college basketball. Nobody would be suggesting that they get fired for losing their temper in this moment. So let's all take a step back for a moment. Marcus Smart, back—this was almost a decade ago now— he ended up pushing one of the fans who, I think it was yelled a racial slur. Yeah. it shouldn't have done it. And he was riding them all night, too. Yeah, the the fan was also very clearly in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Marcus Smart got three games as a suspension for that. That's what should take place here. We don't
3: need to make this more than what it actually is. That's exactly where I'm at. And now with the Mark Futhan, it's like, man— Howard shouldn't even be suspended. If that's the precedent we're setting, of if a guy with a DUI who's in charge of these college kids gets one game suspension, that's a joke. But in the in the sense of this, I went back and watched the video like three or four times. Like, what did you expect, Juwan Howard, to do? Now you're an adult. I mean, not punch. Understandably, not, not you're an adult, and you need to be a lot more mature than what you did. But you're also a former player who's been engulfed in athletics. And look, the heat of the moment got the best of you. If you were already ticked off by them pulling the timeout, basically saying it was embarrassing to the other team. And then when you go through the line and the guy puts his hand on you, and then the part that really got me, the the coach was basically yelling F you over and over and over at Jawan Howard. Now, I don't know what the assistant coach said because the scrum took place. But what do you expect? If you're a grown man and somebody's in your face, you're going to probably take a swing at it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you can't. If you're Jawan Howard, you, you got to hold back in right. that spot. But and- you're not going to get fired over it. No, you you shouldn't. And somebody on the text line from the 937, guys, he's a representative of the university. That university holds itself in high regards. They're embarrassed. Name a, teen, a time where a coach has gotten physical with another coach and then didn't get fired. Bobby
3: Knight used to throw chairs into the middle of the
0: court. Yeah, the I
2: mean, <laughs> we, we're talking about a
0: sport where like some of the guys that were involved that were coaches have done crazy There's, stuff in the past. Now it is a different time, and you should be held to a higher regard. I'm totally with you, but the idea that this is gonna get him fired, first of all, it's not. and anybody no. suggesting otherwise is just saying that to be able to get a rise out of people and it, it's worked for me. like it has gotten a rise out of me. I just think it's totally silly. It, it's it's laughable in terms of that being the punishment for joan howard you should punish him yeah he, he, he should be punished absolutely he should not be made an example of to the point where he's getting fired for this you want to fire him because his team hasn't performed this year all right we can talk about that i i do not think this is a guy that should be
3: fired. And everyone's bringing up his previous offenses where he's gotten into an altercation i think it was in the tournament last year wasn't it where he got into an altercation or maybe it was the year prior i don't remember but that They're bringing Look, yeah, he's a second offender. He's a third offender. Maybe you give him a longer suspension for it. But again, not a reason to fire him because if we're having a conversation about Jawan Howard, then you're going to have the conversation about the Wisconsin coach who put his hand on Jawan Howard. Like, that's why this is just getting blown out of proportion. Yeah, he shouldn't have done it. Yeah, you were in charge of college students. But on top of it, you also are getting yelled blank you in your face nonstop after a game you're already frustrated with. You're going to get something like that.
2: And I get it that it's a coach and we hold them to a higher standard. But, like, I I – you see players do this all the time where they take swings at each other. We don't go, oh, or release them from yeah, the team. not to play anymore. It's a suspension, and I think that's what it is for Michigan. I think it's even laughable to say he should be suspended for the remainder of the season. I think two to three games is about where it needs to be. Set the tone for it. Okay, that's not acceptable. I'm sure the Big Ten, I, I'm pretty sure they can find him. I'm sure the Big Ten Conference will find him as well. So I, I don't see any reason to fire him. Again, it was just the, he shouldn't have done it. I totally agree with that. It's just the heat of the moment. And and Alex, you brought up the point. I mean, he's a former athlete. I mean, he's been in in stuff like this all the time. There's just a certain point where you snap. I I bet you today he looks at it and goes, man, I can't believe I did that. That was a major mistake on my part.
3: I'd love uh, anybody in that position where you're just getting yelled at obscenities nonstop. Nobody's going to be able to keep their composure in that sense. Uh, 65780 is
0: your comfort service tax line from the 618. Guys, are you saying that if you slap somebody else at 101 ESPN, you shouldn't be fired? Can we stop comparing our own workplace environments to athletics because it's not the same it's not stuff that takes place in in college basketball like a coach screaming at his players that happens every single night every night they ream their players in a way where if if our bosses talks to us the way sometimes that college coaches talk to their players I would be quitting I I would say I'm I'm good I don't need to be talked to as if I'm a 12 year old I I, I'm a I'm a grown-ass man you don't need to talk to me that way But that's acceptable in college athletics. That's acceptable in professional sports because it's a totally different working environment than anything that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. There are fights that take place within teammates at football practices, at hockey practices.
3: There's a rather famous one that took place here in St. Louis. Michigan's winning the tournament now. Like,
0: the the idea that we are... The same type of working environment as athletics it's, its just not accurate. Like, you see in the dugout sometimes, Tanner. You, you'll be watching a baseball game, and it's like, wait, is Bryce Harper about to
2: get into didn't a fight Jonathan, with his teammate? Didn't Jonathan
3: Papelbon,
2: like, choke <laughs> yeah. Bryce
3: Harper
0: after a...
2: And let's not forget this year, Yachty did it with Ponce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, this well, is... and then Ponce was... Oh,
0: Gone, that' bad
2: example. Forget I brought that one up.
3: <laughs> I mean, he didn't get fired.
2: His the, performance. The idea
0: that we are going to compare what we do on a day-to-day basis with professional athletes yeah. whose workplace environments are very different than what we deal with, it's just... its yeah. that's, it, this is That per- is not a one-to-one. And by the is, way, I wouldn't think that I would get fired if I slapped Alex in the face. I think uh, people would think it was funny. That's how we... We actually waxed BK's
2: chest. That's That's how
3: we prep. Have you ever seen dodgeball where they slap each other's chest? That's how we prep. We just slap each other in the face a couple of times. 636, a piece of the blame pie goes to Wisconsin head coach as well. Just needs to coach his own team. They both do. That's where this comes down to for me. I'm not going to be sitting here talking about firing one guy or the the other because both were a part of it. You give a suspension, you probably suspend the other side, and you move on. I I do think Juwan Howard needs to... To chill. Like, he he shouldn't be escalating. But again,
0: if somebody's yelling blank you over and over. That only happened because Jawan Howard escalated the situation. After the guy. I mean, he did put a finger
3: in his face. But like
0: the idea that you were so worked up over the other team taking a timeout, if you don't like it, BT says it all the time, play better. Mm -hmm. Don't be losing by 15 with 15 seconds remaining. You need to be more
3: mature. You need to be more of an adult in that situation. But the the moment got the best of him. The emotions got the best of him. And you know what? You're going to suspend him for that. You're not going to fire the guy because he threw a slap at a guy who jumped in the middle of a scrum. I didn't slap Alex earlier, but I did change his opinion on something. We'll tell you
0: what that was coming up next here on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Hey, I messed up earlier today. When I said I, 101 ESPN has your chance to win a pair of passes to a session of your choice at the 2022 State Farm Missouri Valley Conference Men's yeah, Basketball Tournament, that's a rather wordy way to say that, by the way. It's a lot of words to say, hey, the MVC tournament coming. Hey, if you don't like it, play better. I was supposed to actually give that away. Oh, that's well. my job. So I apologize. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are a texter number 101 and you can tell us who was at number one, on Alex's top five players for the Blues this year, you will be getting that pass to the MVC tournament. All so right. do that right oh. now. 65780 sure is your comfort service tax line. If you're our number 101 with number one on the list, you will be the one that ends up getting those passes to the MVC tournament. By the way, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app. All right. Speaking of your top five from earlier today, Alex. Yes, I
3: convinced you to change your top five around. Well, sure. Or I convinced myself when I was thinking more about it. But yeah, we can go that way to make you feel better. I just looking at the list. I, the more I thought about it, I Tarasenko still is not on this list. Um, but if I'm going to use the argument that you know Tarasenko is not on this list because he doesn't play in all areas, and Kyrou was number one. I just, I can't go with that. So and by the way, we've got our winner already. So it's not a big yeah, deal that Alex just gave, gave it that away. away. <laughs> That's fine. We already gave it away. It's not a big deal. Look, no, Billy Huso was the number one player and it, he should have been up there for me to begin it because without Billy Huso, this team's not in the playoffs because without Billy Huso, Bennington's playing and you're probably struggling a lot. I I, I think the more I thought about it, the, the Pavel Buchnevich is number two on this list because he does everything. And Thomas was number three because he does everything. Buchnevich is up there because he scores more goals than Robert Thomas. But both of those guys play on the power play, play on the penalty kill. They're guys late in the game to try and shut things down. They do everything for this team. So they should be 2-3. Justin Falk I have above Jordan Cairo because he. without Justin Falk, I think your defense would be in a lot dire situation than what they are now. And then Jordan Kairou's number five, and I have him above Vladimir Tarasenko because of what I said when I put him at number one. He can make offense out of nothing, where Vladimir Tarasenko, I think, relies on his line mates. So Alex's top five players so this is far the this final season, one, which I helped him construct. Eh. Ville Huso number one. <laughs> you had Thomas two? No, Bucinavich 2, Thomas, two, Thomas, Thomas 3, Thomas three Justin Falk
0: 4, and Jordan Kairu number 5. We will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow here on 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help